I believe that there's another man inside every man. A stranger. A conniving man. Henry was right. There was another way. There always is. But in 1922, the conniving man inside Farmer Wilford James had begged to differ. exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Happy New Year, foggers! It is 2019. Welcome back. You got worried we weren't coming back, didn't you? Frankly, there were a few little moments along the way. I got a little worried we weren't coming back. I'm just kidding. I knew we were coming back. So, with you right now is Nathan Rouse, one of your favorite hosts of your absolute favorite podcast. Typically with me, you know him. You love him. Right now, he's a bit in absentia. Uh, is a normal host co-host reed lackey um he was here for a minute he did say he needed to go have a conversation with his wife about 100 acres you know i don't i don't know y'all it was a little it was weird i don't know i don't get it um i did encourage him as he as he sort of departed for the moment to stay out of the home place unless he wants to get locked in you know it's it's just you gotta be mindful when you're around the home when you're around the home place guys welcome back guys and gals ladies and gentlemen Welcome back. We have a whole lot of amazing treats for you today, uh, in the coming days, in the coming weeks, in the coming months. You can almost consider this Fear of God 2.0. We're kind of considering it that. There's going to be a few little tweaks, a few little, you know, just improvements. Who knows? It's going to be a surprise. It's going to be fun, as always. Um, while we wait for Reed to return, um, I do want to encourage you. Honestly, I don't even know that it really means anything in the algorithmic sense, but it makes us feel good. Um, and if it matters to us, we hope it matters to you. Do us a favor. Go to iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. You know, start start your 2019 off right. We know it's February now. 
and technically speaking 2019 started just over a month ago but our 2019 with you guys is starting right now i hope you're ready for it read happy new year buddy you're here we're What's here we're, we're back happy new year to you nathan rouse how you doing <laughs> is this is this <laughs> car is this carl from sling blade um i i don't know this is what happens <laughs> this is what happens when i don't open my teeth because I'm, cause I'm, this is how I sound when I don't. This, I figured I'd just put on, you know, the conniving man told me to just glint my teeth and and get through the episode. I can't talk like that for long. Some 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 call it sling blade. I call it Kaiser blade. Mm-hmm. One of them books is about Christmas, and I don't know. Some one said water's deep. The other said <laughs> the water's cold. Get it? You get read. It. Reed, hey, Reed, you're alive. I haven't I'm seen, alive. I haven't seen you or talked to you or texted with you or had any sort of communication with you for like two whole months. Here's what's funny is that like, I know, like I figure, I, I now know where our friendship sits, that it's like, you know, we were such great friends for like 20 years and now I definitively know if we're no, not it's just doing a bus- something. It's, it's purely a business relationship. Yeah, yeah. No. If we're not doing yeah. something for fear of God, I just, I, I can't reach you. I, I, I reach out. I, I say, hey, how's life going? And just, you know, I get the crickets back. That's that's all. What can I say? You know, fear of God has rocketed me into a certain extremely niche form of superstardom. And, um, <laughs> you know. Superstardom. You, you, we are so famous. You You got me here and I appreciate it, but. Here we go. Onwards and upwards. Done. Yep. Yep. Um, exactly. Hey, buddy. Hey, man. I mean, like, it feels like there's just so much we should talk about. Oh my gosh! Like, yes, yes, we have a ton, a ton to talk about. So we, we actually, okay. So I'm gonna make one caveat, and I'm gonna throw it to you to just let us just, just one caveat? dive right in. I mean, it's been like yeah. two months since they've listened to us, or you that's know, a, good, a month. That's a good point. Um, so we can make a lot of caveats if we that's need to. All the caveats. Uh, this, this is the caveat section. Um, <laughs> so basically, uh, we are we we're catching up with you guys. So if you've tuned into this episode and you are anxious to hear. Uh, the content that is the title of the episode, which we'll reveal in just a little bit for you listeners who like to just cue it up and press play. Um, if you are w- anxiously awaiting the content of the episode, just kind of sit back, relax. <laughs> We're going to catch up, up on a, a few things. <laughs> We're going to catch up on a few things. So... Our main plan is we're going to catch up on a little bit of business that we uh, were going to do throughout the year, uh, throughout the month of January, rather. But since we decided to take a little break, uh, much needed, given our some of our scheduling constraints, we're going to do a little bit of that now. So for those of you who are just along for the ride, welcome back. We're excited to have you. Hopefully you're excited to have us. Uh, meanwhile, Nathan, we were going to hey. do this like right up top, first episode of January, but instead, uh, why don't we tell them what their listener voted top 10 favorite horror films of 2018 were? Do you want to go ex- ahead and count I, all that down? Let's do it. Hey, you know what's exciting, Reed? You'll find this. I hope you find this exciting. Um, I'm looking at the top 10 right now. And, you know, five years ago, me would have looked at this list and been like, oh, that one and maybe that one. <laughs> Two, 2019. That's Nathan, right. Nathan, fear of God 2.0 looks at this list and says, um, there's only three of those seven I have not seen. Dang. That's awesome. That yeah. is awesome. Yeah. And it's that all, it's, awesome. It's all thanks to you, lackey. 
Well, I'll go you one more because Uh-oh. you've actually seen more on this list than I have. <laughs> hey, I told you. I told you. Fear about superstardom yeah. right here. You're just, um, yeah, you're just uh, leaps and bounds. You're catching hey, up ca- with me. Speaking of superstardom, can I tell you a fun little anecdote? You know how you always sure. like intercut our serious conversations with tales of your celebrity sightings? Wow, I don't know how often I do that, but <laughs> oh, tell him everybody, it's quite often. I'm oh, wow, wow, I'm wow! Kidding. It's been so, a while. It's been a while. True. It's true. Just it's to be just to be clear to our listeners, Reed and I have been pretty routine communication for the last month, so we really are we really are still tight, you know. Um, oh, but funny. hey, for uh, my wife and I just celebrated our fifteenth anniversary, so that was cool. Is she the celebrity and that you met? Oh yes, yep. Mm. She's the one. She signs the autographs. Um, (laughs) and so for our 15th anniversary, we went down to New Orleans, um, which we had neither of us ever been to. And for all of the sport fans that listen to our show, both of you, um, (laughs) we were we were boarding the plane. Oh, we were rather we were checking in to board the plane, and the you know airline person was like, "Oh, you going to the game?" So, turns out there was a massive NFL game happening in New Orleans the day after we arrive. Oh, and, my gosh. And we literally had no clue it was going to be happening. So, we're like the one people, the one couple going to New Orleans that really had no clue about this <laughs> game. Um, you know, it's like this major tourist thing that they've probably been building to for quite some time. And we're like, oh, we're just <laughs> going to the New Orleans. Um so, so, so to the New Orleans. <laughs> I seen that French quarter down there. Um, oh my gosh! Four of them make a French dollar. Um, <laughs> and so, so we're so uh, punchy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had caffeinated coffee like an hour ago. It is nine o'clock Eastern time. Um, oh my gosh! So next week's episode is going to be insane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're in New Orleans. Um, it's the day after the big game. The the Saints. That's the um, the football team that is associated with New Orleans, uh, they lost. So mm. the whole, the whole city is despondent. <clears throat> well, we go to this pretty famous restaurant in the French Quarter. It's part of a hotel called Hotel Monteleon. So in this hotel is a restaurant slash bar, and it's famous because it has a carousel for a bar. So literally, it's got, you know, what you envision of a carousel, that upper part with the lights and kind of the, the, you know, sort of like a big top at a circus visual. And beneath that is a revolving bar. So you can, you can sit at the bar and it kind of turns the whole time you're there and it's got this kind of feel to it. Well, mm. we're sitting there and, uh, all my nerds in the house will be like, that's pretty cool. This scruffy, good looking fella walks right past us. And I like literally like, like, a foot from us. Um, so uh, he passes right by us, and I look at my wife, and I said, that is the Arrow. That is Stephen Amell, star of the Arrow. Wow. And she said, wow. she didn't believe me. She was like, are you sure? I said, I, my actual response was, I would recognize that scruffy, chiseled jaw anywhere. <laughs> and, well, then, this you're going to love this, Reed. This is like my nerd level leveled up here. Um, All right. So he's chatting with a few folks at the bar who clearly don't know who he is. Well, his his voice doesn't sound like his normal voice. And my, my wife picks up on that. She's like, I don't know. That doesn't quite sound like him. She's familiar with him. And she was right. I was like, no, I get it. And I did have a brief moment of doubt. But you know what, Reed? I, like, 
I don't follow sports in the least, but I follow people online who do follow sports. Stephen Amell <laughs> is one of them. And I said, you know what? He was at the Saints game yesterday and he was yelling the whole time and he probably lost his voice. She was like embarrassed and proud. It was like equal parts. <laughs> How on earth did you do that? Because that all happened in like two seconds. I came up with that in two seconds. Wow. So sure enough, um, he passes again. I was like, no, I guarantee you that's him. And that is why his voice sounds a little off. So I fabricate a bathroom visit and walk <laughs> past walk past him and uh, say hello. And then and actually she- have a bathroom visit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, say hello, shake his hand, tell him I'm a fan. And then I said, you failed this city. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. Um, anyway, yeah, I got to meet Stephen Amell. It was pretty cool. That, that is very exciting. exciting. I'm very happy for you. You know, between the two of us, we have met two thirds of the DC TV universe. Well, I know you met Benoist. Who is the other one? Yes. No, no, no. That's between the two of us. Oh, oh, two thirds of it. Yeah. Yeah. So you've met Arrow. Grant Gustin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because you've met Arrow. Well, and it's going to be tough to meet Grant Gustin because he's so darn fast. (laughs) (laughs) I just figured I'd let that sit there for a second. (laughs) No, I liked it. I liked it. it. (laughs) Because what's great is your visual on my computer screen is really choppy. And I was like, I'm pretty sure he's still there. And he's just letting that joke sit. And I really love him for it. (laughs) Anyway, so that's my fun little anecdote. That happened to me in January. Let's get to this top 10 list, Riri. Do you want to start or do you want me to start? I'll begin. Okay, so number 10, your favorite, one of your favorite horror films of 2018. Your 10th favorite, as a matter of fact, is the film Revenge. I uh, am remiss to say I do not have the director in front of me, but I do know that this was the film that made some waves at the festivals and is a Shudder exclusive. Then I know that it is it is like a uh, a, a woman is uh, accosted and assaulted, and the people who did that to her, I think, come to regret it. Unfortunately, I have not seen this film. I don't think this is one of the the ones that you've seen either, right? You haven't no, seen I've, this one? I've not seen Revenge. I've watched the trailer uh, once or twice because I did ponder watching it one night. It does look pretty grisly. Honestly, mm. the only the only reason I haven't watched it is just... I think you'll know this feeling. There's moments where you're like, I see this trailer. I kind of think I know the tone and more or less Mm. what I'm going to get. And I'm just not sure if I'm there yet at the moment. So it's, I gotcha. Yeah. 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 I get that. I'm sure it's actually probably quite up our alley, but sure. Well, 10th favorite horror film. Yeah. 10th favorite horror film of 2018. So yeah. So what's number nine? The ninth favorite horror film of 2018. I did see. In fact, I pulled some of our, our fear of God, pals um one night uh, between this and one of the other ones that i did not pick uh that, oh. I, that i have not seen but number nine is the endless um mm. like you i don't have the production team in front of me though i did do some reading on this this is a very strong flick that i'm gonna make a push that we cover sometime this year um it's, down. it's it's one of those movies that has a really high concept and mm. but you don't totally have to get it to kind of enjoy the story being told. Um, and okay. it really, it really propels a lot of thought and kind of consideration after the fact. So I, I really enjoyed it. What's, what's really funny about the endless and I, I really should have gotten to it by this point, but I have actually seen the, the directors are a pair of brothers and, uh, I've actually seen, I actually don't know if they're brothers cause I, uh, I don't think I, they I can, are, but I do think they're close buddies. Okay, so but they oh like you and me. Yeah, we should make let's make, we a should movie. make movies. Yeah, let's do that. Um but that's, uh, I that's have a, seen that's that's a fear of God three point oh. 
<laughs> exactly. It just we just start producing original content. So uh, you heard the, it here first, folks. <laughs> the I saw their two previous films, uh, Resolution and Spring, both of which I enjoyed quite a bit. But I just have not gotten to Endless yet. I'm gonna have to rectify. Now that my understanding soon. is that one of those, and I'm I don't know which one it is. One of those is a functionary first film to Endless. Like, oh, really? You, yeah, you can watch Endless as I did and not really have to have seen the, whichever one of those it is. But oh. the, char- the the characters in Endless, I am pretty positive this is the case, are uh, later down the story characters from a previous film. Wow, I really have to see Endless now because I'm so curious which one that is. Yeah, so That's really- maybe, maybe we'll do wow. a, a, a double double header of those two. So oh, that, was okay. the, that, awesome. was, that was the Endless. What about uh, number eight All for right. you? So number eight was a film that I know shocked a lot of people in terms of how much affection it got. Uh, I still have not seen it, but I want to. Uh, and that is The Meg, uh, the big gigantic shark movie, which looked utterly ridiculous, but... Um, I did hear that while, yes, it is utterly ridiculous, uh, that there was some kind of interesting things going on, uh, specifically s- around the subject of grief. Uh, we even had a couple of listeners reach out, uh, including uh, our benefactor, Tyler, and asked uh, if we would consider doing an episode on it. So maybe sometime really? down the line. Yeah. So uh, I have not seen it, so I can't comment yet, but I would definitely be open to uh, watching it with, with those exploratory possibilities. So yeah, number eight was The Meg. I did not see it because I judged it rather harshly when I saw trailers for it because that's mm. how I am. Um, <laughs> number, number seven, this was the one between The Endless and It that I chose The Endless and have not gotten back around to seeing this one. It is the Nicolas Cage Mandy, um, which I am quite interested in. It looks bonkers, but I have not mm, seen it. Mm-hmm. I uh, also have not, sadly, have not made it to Mandy yet, but I have, I mean, so so many people talking about Mandy and how it is this perfect blend supposedly again I have not seen it but supposedly this perfect blend of just like Nick Cage being Nick Cage uh grizzly horror crazy cult thing but that it is that it is really really impressive so I need to make time out for uh all of these that I have not yet seen but particularly you know Endless and Mandy well, what little I know of Mandy is that I think she came and she gave without taking. That's, but that's about the extent of my knowledge. Um, number five on the list. Yeah, she, yeah. I was, I almost, almost, almost made it through that and you, you decided, <laughs> you decided to drill down. Um, you got it. number six, uh, on the list, I did see, I think I may have referenced this on our conversation with Chris Peckover, but I did see Overlord. That was number six. Mm. Really strong flick. I would highly encourage, you know, if you're just looking for a Saturday night, rental or something like that it's definitely worth some time because it is it is pretty intriguing awesome awesome yeah i definitely want to get to that one too i have still not yet made it but you and i have both made it to all of the rest so uh for those who thought you know do these guys even watch horror films um so yes number Uh, five i think think the question is does reed even watch horror films wow (laughs) (laughs) okay so number five was a film you and i both saw that we uh also seriously considered uh covering uh actually before 2018 was over and that was upgrade i've heard it argued that that's not really a horror film i consider it a horror film i think it it 
qualifies. I do understand the arguments that it is more action than horror, but I think its premise and uh, ultimately what it's trying to say would definitely land it in the horror category. And our listeners agree, because they rated it number five, their favorite horror films of 2018. Upgrade. Uh, number four, uh, both of you, both of us did see. Um, both of you read. <laughs> There's two of you. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, both of us did see. Um, I'm sure at some point we'll get to it. Um, it is uh, uh, the Tony uh-uh. Tony Collette starring alongside the head detective hereditary. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Oh, you just, I just mm, I have no response. The head detective. No response. Do you remember that? Oh, I do. Heading on up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to watch the movie to get it. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is so ridiculous. <laughs> okay. I don't know how we can recover from that. Oh, it's okay, easy. So... Just move on. <laughs> <laughs> Just... Okay, so uh number three. I'm uh, very happy that it made it in the top five, and that is the return of the shape itself. Michael Myers' return to the big screen, also uh Laurie Strode's return to the big screen. You're right. Halloween, the 2018 David Gordon Green directed uh, Halloween was your third favorite horror film of 2018. Oh, I have so much to say about that. We need to do an episode on that sometime. Yes, I'm sure we will get around to that. Number two on this list. Number two. Dude, number two and number one. That's a darn good pair of flicks. Oh Um, my gosh, yes. I could agree more. Number two on this list, um, I'm sure we will re-get to at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Inside joke. Um, That is the Natalie Portman et al. starring Annihilation. Yes, indeed. A brain-tickling, thought-provoking, fascinating piece of art. It is is, is well worth your time if you've not seen it yet. And honestly, uh, I I would consider it robbed of the number one spot in any other list. But your number one favorite horror film of 2018, uh, supplanting the outstanding Annihilation, but I think deservedly so, is the John Krasinski-directed A Quiet Place, which I definitely agree is a substantive achievement, uh, one that you and I both, not only did we uh, do an episode about it because we could not contain ourselves, but uh, raved about it as well. I love, 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 love that That's movie. a fantastic film, and we are recording the night after Emily Blunt won the Female Actor in a Supporting Role Award, SAG Award, for her role in A Quiet Place. That's awesome. Can I tell you a story about A Quiet Place? Tell me. So, uh, we spent New Year's Eve with uh, my mom and dad, who had come out from North Carolina to spend some time with us, and uh, we like to have little movie nights here and there, and my mom and dad enjoy suspenseful films, and so do I, and and so I had the brilliant idea that maybe I, yeah, hey, it's been a while since I saw A Quiet Place. I haven't watched it again. I got it as a Christmas present, uh, and I would love to watch this movie, and so... I started it not realizing that, like, my mom is quite easily terrified. I mean, the poor woman probably watched half the movie with her. And it was, I just wasn't even like, oh, yeah, this, this part's probably bad. Yeah, cover your eyes, mom. (laughs) I know. Well, that's what my wife said. My wife said, like, why did you suggest this movie? And I, I, about halfway through the screen, I just kept looking at it like, 
Honestly, I don't know. I don't know why I suggested this movie. This was a mistake. Put on Ferdinand instead. I mean, like, honestly, it was like... <laughs> like There's like, nothing nothing, was... nothing, quiet about Ferdinand. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yes. So, hey, sorry again, Mom. No, no, no. You're, well, yes, your mother should be apologized to for so many things. But... Um, uh... <laughs> <laughs> your mother should be apologized to for so many things. Hey, Reed, it is, it's 2019. It is Fear of God 2.0. You have created this monster that is Nathan Rouse, <laughs> who's remarkably seen more of the top 10 horror movies of the previous year than you have. And I still can't believe and it. And before we get it. too far down the list, y'all, or down our, t- see, you guys just need to camp out. Pull up a chair. <laughs> it's cold as crap in North Carolina. So real quick, before I even get to what I was about to get to, we're going to play the How Many Layers. You remember on Living Color? This is the second in Living Color reference in, <laughs> in, in 30 minutes. That's unbelievable. Uh, how many job you got? You know, it's like, oh, hey, not with you, it's hey, not. Hey, man, how many yeah. job you got? Like, I'm going to play I'm gonna play the game How Many Layers You Wearing. So okay, I've got okay. two pairs of socks, two pairs of pants, two shirts. A, I got this Patagonia really nice jacket for Christmas that's like Aww. super thin, but like, heats you up i feel like a baked potato in it so i'm wearing that and i'm wearing a, a, a toboggan on my head and i got my slippers on my feet and i got a hot um a heating pad on my lap dude it is cold up in my garage <laughs> so anyway so that's how I bet. that's how many layers you're wearing um so reed you have created this, i've just got a t-shirt you, yeah yeah you jack, jackass um <laughs> you've created this monster and you know y'all reed puts a hell of a lot of time into what he does behind the scenes for the fear of god so he <laughs> he knows i'm prepping a little surprise for him but he has no idea so like real real talk y'all on air right now i'm surprising reed so reed oh, no. i wanted to do a little treat for you so and ultimately for for the foggers um, I want you to go, do I want to, do I want to prep it more? So, you know, it's fear of God 2.0. I, I have no idea it's what's like, about to happen. It's like a whole new era. He really doesn't y'all. I sent him an email and I said, don't open it. In fact, the subject line is laced with profanities, encouraging him not to open it so that it wouldn't, <laughs> <laughs> so that it wouldn't tip, tip his, tip my hand of what I've got. As if that's ever dissuaded yeah, me yeah, from yeah. opening or, it. Or that that's uncommon at all. Um, <laughs> So I sent Reed this email uh, of something that, that's been brewing during January. It was really fortuitous that we kind of took January off. We've got a few irons in the fire, not just what I'm about to show Reed and that you guys, oh, you, no. that you guys get to partake of uh, when this episode drops on Tuesday, February 5th, I believe. But we do have a few other treats and irons in the fire that are hopefully going to start percolating up in the coming weeks. So Reed, I'm going to pull it up too. Why don't you go ahead and open this email um, of what? Well, I'll let you get there. For, I'll let you get there first. And, and yes, I did. I, I can't. I can't say. I can't is. say. What let the, us <laughs> follow along in real time. What have you opened it yet? Uh, no, I haven't opened it yet. I just okay. saw the uh, the. Oh, heading. oh, the okay, Sunday I'm line. Open it. I'm opening it back and forth. Oh <laughs> no! Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh my gosh, listeners have no idea what they're in store for. They don't. Oh my gosh. So what, oh my gosh. <laughs> you really unintentionally, like, totally teed me up for this. So. The, how? By re- this is by referencing oh my By gosh. referencing my having overtaken your watching of these movies and creating this monster that is me. So, oh y'all, what Reed gosh. is looking at right now, and I need to give a dear friend some props, there's a gentleman, Jacob Hunt, who is a new listener to 
the fear of God, but he is a longtime buddy of mine. We go back, she's 25 years. Um, this is amazing. Who is an accomplished artist in his own right. And I've been talking about this for some time, uh, would occasionally reference it to read, but I had, uh, during the off season commissioned from Jacob, what is going to become the brand new fear of God art. There's going to be multiple versions of it. Read just FYI variations of like the font and the stuff. So what, Oh my God. So what I pitched, this is actually not the final version that it's going to be colored and all that stuff. He just kind of ran out of time, but it's going to be prepped for next week. Um, Wow. So I told Jacob, I was like, Hey, you know, in a perfect world, I, it would be photos, but Reed and I never see each other. And it's really hard to pull that off. So I, again, commissioned Jacob, who's an exceptional artist. And what Reed is looking at right now is an image <laughs> of what will be our new oh, show gosh. art. And it's, it is the two of us, but it's not just the two of us. It is the two of us as I have come to affectionately refer, uh, with Jacob as Frank and Nathan, Dr. Riedenstein. So, so <laughs> Reed having brought me into the horror treasure trove, and it's so fascinating, man. I haven't even told you this, but the other day my wife was like utterly unrelated to fear of God stuff. I, I think it was something about some scary movie or something. She wow. was like, why do people, why do people like watching this stuff? And I was able to just go into this. She wasn't being dismissive, but I was able to sure, go into yeah, this course, whole diatribe about fear and the things that control us and paralyze us and the way people make us fearful uh, and get us to do what they want because they've made us fearful. And it was all just stemmed from two years of these conversations. So so I, I, keep, I keep unintentionally putting this off. So what the new art is, is Reed with trademark hat and me with trademark beard cast as dr frankenstein and frankenstein's monster um you guys are going to get a kick out of this um read what you may not know is both of these postures are drawn from original looks from the the universal monster film oh um in my fact gosh, that's and guys crazy. you'll get a kick out of this when you see it when jacob first sent me my he sent me an early rendering of just some compositions of the physical characters and I was like, man, Frankenstein looks kind of dancey. Uh, that's a little, I mean, I like to dance, but you know, it's a little odd. Well, then he it sent, it really does look like you're boogieing. Well, then he sent me the, I'll, we'll post it when this all goes live. Uh, he sent me the reference material he was using and it's a shot of an old Frankenstein poster. That's an art piece that is Dang. this exact image. And for you, he had drawn it from an image from the film of, um, Dr. Frankenstein's sort of excited look. When he's first, you know, the, it's That's alive. That's crazy. So That's yeah, guys, crazy. we've got a brand new uh, slew of uh, or suite of art pieces that are gonna hit um, our Facebook and Twitter starting next week. Is gonna become that is. <laughs> hey, Reed. Nuts. I hope it's okay. I solicited and commissioned brand new art for the show. Um, no, oh, for well, this is incredible. This for, is absolutely incredible. For branding, and I don't know if you notice, there's two of them there. You get to pick which face you want. I said I don't know. I don't know which one you'd want. So, are, oh, are you my seeing that? Gosh. I am. Okay, yeah, okay, there's two. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And it's there's... funny. I think I more frequently have the, uh, I don't know. I'll have to think on that. Yeah. I more frequently have the closed mouth smile, but the open mouth smile looks a lot like yours. And so I like, I don't know. I'm I know. I this know. Is, this is pretty crazy. This is nuts. What do you think? That's pretty cool. I huh? love it. Dude, Jacob, these are incredible. So, okay. So listeners, yeah, I don't know exactly. Reaction. Yeah, so I don't know exactly where. Like, I, I know one place you can absolutely go on the day this drops. You can absolutely go 
to the Facebook page or to the Instagram page and see all of that. I don't know if iTunes will, uh, how quickly they'll update and everything, but my goodness, this is crazy. These these images are insane. Do you think he'll do more of these? These um, are nuts. Well, they do. They cost money. So if we want to pay him more. <laughs> um, but he's doing he's doing a suite of them that are multifunctional across various formats. So there's going to be gotcha. a piece okay. a piece that's just the title. There's going to be, I, I did ask him, he's going to work on pieces that are just the individual characters. So like you, Reed, can post your Dr. Reedenstein as your profile or whatever, you know, so there's a lot of right, there's a lot right. of functionality we can draw out of this this existing this is incredible oh this is um, this is incredible if you want to go look up jacob's other work um you can go to jacobhuntcomics.com as said or rather spelled exactly how it sounds jacob hunt h-u-n-t comics.com and so thank oh you so gosh. very much jacob for helping chart the course of fear of god 2.0 we've got some other uh treats in store even towards the end of this episode that hopefully will uh continue to cement what is going to be a brave bold new era in the fear of god verse that that is really really awesome this is pretty incredible that is pretty incredible you like that, that was, oh my gosh that's awesome so um when you guys take a look at this i'll tell you there's i'm sure reed you're experiencing something that happened to me there is nothing weirder than looking at an image of not you, you. Yes. Right? That is yeah. true. That is he's true. Said, I'm sitting here, I'm like, dang, that is me, but I don't I don't even know. <laughs> Listeners can't see my stunned expression right. as I'm like, what? Well, oh my gosh. And and we'll post the various versions. So like there's a, a an uncolor an unshaded version. Jacob can inform some of the the lingo here to better talk about what we're talking about here. There will be a colored version that's the final, that that's what goes up. But he initially sent me oh, the, ske wow. the sketch of my face you're looking at there. And it was like just just the face. And so I opened it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is creepy as crap. <laughs> it's like, it's me, so awesome. but it's not me, but it's me. Oh my God. Anyway. Oh, so, man. Fear of God 2.0. Fear of God 2.0. We are in full effect. That is um, nuts. Absolutely not. So, so yeah, we looked back at the top 10 2018 horror movies. We are celebrating looking forward um, with brand new Fear of God uh, branding and art. Um, so, Reed, you know, it has been just so long. And I just, I've been, I mean, it's been weird. I've been burning to ask you this thing for quite a while. Like, I, <laughs> despite, the, despite the fact that we have been communicating off pod for, you know, five weeks now um you know i just gotta know what you're watching <laughs> <laughs> what are you reading you can tell i've got coffee in me and i'm excited about new art <laughs> what are you listening to oh, tell me uh-uh -uh. yeah. oh my gosh yeah. that is awesome all right that's great so it feels good to hear that song again that yeah. feels good yeah i like it for you. i like it that's awesome so uh you asked me what am i watching what am i reading? well you know what okay so this episode has already gone uh kind of long everybody buckle up we'll get to our film in just a moment hey um, it's, or in just it's, a few moments they, listen there have been four weeks well there's been three of four weeks with no content ladies and gentlemen <laughs> i do want to give good Reed point. further public props for that Shyamalan episode good work my friend that was really fun and Thank I enjoyed you. it a lot I appreciate perhaps that. we'll see more formats like that in the future regardless we've had a whole month with no new content I think we're we're okay to go over a little bit regardless c continue carry on all right, Sal all right. Sally so, Sally forth carry on Christian uh, uh, uh you know what are oh, crap carry on my wayward son yeah carry on my wayward son <laughs> onward Christian soldier you know just 
<laughs> All of it. Um, okay, so uh, I saw, uh, and you did as well, the culmination. We So, uh, again, you referenced Springtime for Shyamalan. Uh, I think it only fitting in our first episode back um, because we issued that episode prior to having seen M. Night Shyamalan's latest film, Glass, and now we have both seen it. So if it's okay with you, why don't we make our What You Watch and Read and Listen to a brief conversation about M. Night Shyamalan's film, Glass. Does let's, that sound okay? Let's do it. Let's, let's do let's it. Do let's it, just pal. do it, pal. Old, so, old okay. buddy, old pal. I'm, we're locked in here with this in this padded room together. You're a bit comatose and catatonic. I'm, <laughs> I'm wearing a dress, et cetera. You know, it's just, <laughs> let's, let's have a conversation. Reed. All right, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So, um, tell us, do you, I, I'll, I'll go first. Do it. So, um, when new, new films are coming out that I already know that I'm going to see, I actively avoid specifics of reviews, but I do dive in to just mostly for expectation management. I do look at things like Rotten Tomatoes, not the, um, you know, like what the specific reviews say, but just, okay, in general, audiences feel this way about it. In general, uh, critics feel this way about it. And now, you know, that I'm on Letterboxd, and now you are too. Yeah, um, 2.0. So I will generally, that's right, I will generally scope out how are some of my peers and friends uh, feeling about this particular content. So uh, Glass was getting from both Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes critics and most of my peer friends, uh, it was getting pretty tepid responses um some people were and i think you were kind of in this camp which were there's a lot to like don't, about it don't, um, don't speak maybe. for me i'm right here. okay well i won't do this so so oh, you'll have your turn in a second then so uh but most people were in the camp some people were in the camp of like this was a huge disappointment some people were in the camp of like there's some stuff to like some stuff to dislike but in general pretty tepid reviews so I go in to see it with my expectations pretty tempered. I had watched Unbreakable the day before I saw Glass, and I had watched Split the same morning before the evening that I saw Glass. So I had watched both of the films in close proximity to each other. And when I went in to see Glass, about maybe an hour in, I was actively sitting there thinking, man, I do not know what is wrong with me. I am digging this. I really like it. I like some of the things that they're doing that are kind of subversive to what the norm of a superhero mashup would be. I was really galvanized by some of the things that they were exploring thematically, or at least what I thought they were exploring thematically. Um, and so I was actually having this really weird moment where I was sitting there. I was like, I, I don't know, like maybe something really falls apart at the ending that I'm not sure. And I, I mean, he made some bold choices there at the ending. Um, but I was like, maybe, maybe that's what kind of turned people off to it. I'm not quite sure. But about an hour in, I was very much like, man, I am really digging what he's doing here. And I did have, I don't know how spoilery we want to get about Glass, um, but I did have some things that I would acknowledge like, okay, that that was uh, ultimately a weaker choice than something he could have done otherwise, or I actively don't like this about it. But for the most part, I really, really dug Glass. Glass really connected with me. I liked it quite a bit. 
Um, I, like I said, some of the responses that were on the negative side, I kind of understand where they're coming from, uh, a lot of them, but it just, it really, really worked for me and moved me and, uh, in a way that I was not prepared for. Uh, maybe it is just because my expectations were so tempered by seeing sort of initial responses. Um, but I, I don't know. I really, really connected with it. Even on further reflection, I connected with it. Um, what was, what, what, what about you? Well, you you sort of um you know played my hand a little bit for me there in, in implication if nothing else but I, you're I, welcome but i do want to point out reed that i have seen more of the 2018 top 10 horror movies than you have so you know in terms of yes between this recording and next week's recording you do that i will have seen um, all the movies <laughs> so on a on a pure technical note um you probably did yourself a favor by watching Unbreakable and Split within the 24 hours before seeing it. I did not do myself a favor by either A, doing that, by neither A, doing that, and also by making the choice to go see a 10.40 p.m. showing, um, which is oh, wow. demonstrably late. So I don't know if you want to have this conversation here, Mr. Lackey, but let's, 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 do, what it. Has, let's do it. What has struck me about Glass, it is not unfair to say my experience of the film was tepid however mm. i have given this so much thought since that viewing now one unfairly and unfortunately i am compelled to possibly watch this again at some point i just don't know when life will permit that to happen and mm -hmm. my initial experience was so neutral bordering on the negative that a rewatch in this immediate moment feels more like work than joy I get that. Um, no, I get that, that said, again, like knowing we were going to talk about it, kind of read what it has prompted in me is just this internal dialogue. I'm serious. Like we could have an hour long conversation about what I'm about to introduce here. It's just about mm. art in general and oh, how, mm. how, um, here's the thing. Yes, it is true. The watching of glass really did not energize me. I am open to reconsideration um i there was i found a lot to like some things to love a lot to dislike some things to highly dislike but more than almost that glass feels to me let's 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 unplug from the technical aspects of the film glass feels to me in its reception and people like you and i who at least consider ourselves thoughtful consumers of media and dare we say art man we are in such, and we have been for some time. This is this particular note is not new to our culture. I remember feeling this way after watching. And this is a random insertion here, but the movie Prometheus. And, oh, okay. And I remember, and I'm I'm I am predisposed to to affection for Prometheus because of Lindelof's involvement and some of the cast. Like I'm just equipped to kind of appreciate or consider it deeply. So. I watched that film, even not having the level of uh, xenomorph love that, you know, even you do. But I remember watching Prometheus and being so kind of disheartened by the response to it, not because people actively disliked it and sort of crapped on it. It wasn't so much that. It was what had, what it, what I perceived to have become. And honestly, man, I've thought about this with having joined Letterboxd is, mm is a in a rating world in a metric world in a binary love hate world there is so little room for 
for consideration. So for mm. instance, something like glass, my brother, I love him dearly. He, there's a lot of stuff I enjoy from a media perspective that he would not like at all. So he, okay. he knows I'm watching glass. He texts me. What did you think? That's, that's too hard to just answer. So what I said is you probably won't like it. Mm. It wasn't about me. It was just like knowing this person's tastes and how they tend to fall into a more binary reception of media. I just knew okay, this sure. is not going to be something you're going to be able to, uh, this is not going to be something you will appreciate that you'll want to, okay. f- that you'll want to work to appreciate. Now in your position, you didn't have to work to appreciate it. And that's awesome. Um, right. Right. And here's the thing about glass, the ideas that are at work in it. I'm an ardent fan of, I love mm. the world that I sort of felt like he was leaning into. Um, I, as, as listeners and, you know, I'm predisposed to appreciate his material. It just in the long run has made me sort of ponder just like artistic output in general and how we are so prone to bucket them of like, Hey, did you like glass or, or what did you think of glass? Oh, I hated it. Oh, I loved it. And this, this weird, right, right, right. Inability to just converse because to me, the strength of glass as I currently appreciate it has less to do with the film's inherent successes or failures and more to do with, well, what do we do with just art? How do we consume this? How do we chew on this? How do we appreciate it when it is, as I feel glass is a a flawed piece. I mean, there's, and that was the Prometheus thought for me when I came away from that is like, we have such a weird expectation around media and maybe people. That's a whole other conversation of just, if it isn't perfect, it's garbage. And I do right, patently right. reject that sort of binary. And and to I'll tie this off with a little bit of bow and you can respond as you want. But this is why with Letterboxd, now that I've begun it, I've I've started to be like, ah, I don't know. I just don't know. Like, you know, I like it for being able to chart the things I am watching. But the impulse, sure. the impulse is so strong to a rating sort of mentality that as you, I think you would attest, like ignore glass as uh, in and of itself, but just your feelings about a piece fluctuate over time. You know, what, what, oh, what yeah, is a, a five star today is a two star in three years. What is a two and a half star today is a four star in a year, you know? And so oh, absolutely, yes. I think what I do, my takeaway from glass is that it pushed me into this reminder of like, you don't have to a have a super defined sort of like yet are you in or out type of mentality on a piece of art and you also can allow yourself like hey i i can kind of ponder this i can kind of chew on it i can marinate it anyway i don't know if that makes any sense and it's probably not what you expected at all but no 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 it does i make a comment about ratings and i'll make a comment about glass so my comment about ratings i'll bring in something else and this is this is good we'll get we'll get to the meat of the material here in just a, a, a mo- another few moments. The, but, the um, second steak of the material. Like, exactly, it's like two exactly. steaks, it's a two steak night. Exactly. But my feelings on ratings, uh, one film that has been incredibly fascinating for me to sort of follow has been The Shawshank Redemption because the, I, I, I made a comment, and I even, I even wrote a blog post about it uh, middle of last year, where... That film has had an interesting journey in my 
understanding of tracking its popularity and not. When it came out in 94, that was the same year as Pulp Fiction, same year as Forrest Gump, it was largely ignored. And it was ignored for a long time. People had sort of uh, spoken out against it saying like, oh no, that's, you know, that's not really, you know, that that's not a praiseworthy film. It's kind of a forgettable film. Well then, it got home video release and then rises to like the top of IMDb. IMDb still has it listed as the number one uh, highest rated, most often rated film. And then fast forward about 10 years later and you have people calling it overrated and people saying like, oh, yeah, I mean, everybody mentions Shawshank Redemption. Fine. That's such a populist film. That's not a real, you know, that's not a really high art cinema. That's just, you know, that's just for the masses or whatever. And what's been interesting to me to consider those three different sort of eras of reaction to the film is the one thing that has remained utterly constant is the film itself. So it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, your rating system at a 2 right now, you're in a different place five years later. You see that film, something really connects with you, and it might leap up to a 4. And then, maybe a little bit later, the same film might not quite push the same buttons and would, uh, you know, lower back down. It is very, very difficult to assess things objectively, but I don't know that that's really even... The aim of criticism, I mean, certainly uh, we have some friends who are into sort of the critics world and uh, we have some listeners who are as well. I certainly couldn't speak to the ultimate true definition of what criticism is, but as I understand it, it is a person responding to the film. They're reacting to it. And connect and connecting dots about what does and does not work in the scope of their experience and in the sort of wealth of uh, its cultural impact or lack thereof. Um, so to not be so intellectual about it, just bottom line, like Glass was the type of thing that, again, I do think it benefited me from watching Unbreakable and Split so close to it because a lot of people have complained about the pacing of Glass, but I found it to be faster paced than Unbreakable. Which really surprised me because a lot of people really loved Unbreakable, but I, I was I, personally speaking, I was like, Glass moves quicker than Unbreakable did in terms of getting to the point. But there was something countercultural about Unbreakable when it came out, and we didn't have a glut of superhero movies, and right. and there weren't these other sort of cultural factors to play into what people were wanting from Glass and expecting from Glass. Um, and I'm not saying that you know uh, alternate interpretations. Uh, to mine, or that mine as an alternate interpretation are incorrect, is just simply, it worked for me, it connected for me, and I really felt like, and we've talked about this before in different contexts where I say, like, I, that, that filmmaker just speaks my language, or like, like, I'm the audience for that film, you know, and, and maybe it's just as simple as that, where it is like, hey, I'm, I'm the subset that can really connect to what's trying to be done here. One thing I will say about it uh, as an overall defense of M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, I don't know that a lot of people know this, but with The Visit and Split, and most especially with Glass, he has put his money where his mouth is. Like, he funded, he himself funded the production of The Visit, he funded the production of Split, and he funded, at the tune of $20 million, the production of Glass. All these other studios, including Blumhouse, all they did was handle distribution. The actual making of the film... He did it with his own money and made the film he wanted to make. And I I do still admire that. Whatever sure, 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 whatever sure. people may feel about his particular proclivities, 
I greatly admire, like, he's willing to be like, no, I will put my cash on the line to tell the story that I'm trying to tell and stayed true to what I believe he ultimately was trying to do. And that's not going to work for everybody, and it doesn't really have to. And it did happen to work for me, and I'm glad it did. But that's, that, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to extend, you know, far beyond that realm. Well, and and it, the the other thing, as you outlined a minute ago, just the weight of expectation is high, and it's an unfortunate sort of thing that does exist. Sure, but, sure. Um, you know, I, I do... Stating again, I do think the moment will come where I rewatch Glass and have a bit more sober eye towards it, and perhaps even in a in a trilogy viewing, um, and and can gain some more appreciation for it. That said, I do celebrate his kind of renaissance and 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 do sincerely anxiously look forward to what he does next. Now that that sure, particular right. sort of chapter is closed, and it's it's possible I just had too much mixed into the expectation factor on on Glass. I don't know. That said whatever sort of ambiguity or uncertainty or ambivalence or whatever I may feel about glass. Can we friggin' celebrate James McAvoy? Oh, oh my gosh. He's my a freak of nature. Gosh. Yeah. Like yeah. you can, you, there's a world and I don't, I'm not this person. There's a world where someone could tell me everything in glass is garbage, but you cannot take a, a, frame away from what james mcavoy does in that film he is he's staggering it's a yeah, it's like staggering. a virtuoso performance he is insane it really is yeah it really is he's he's incredible in it and it's uh yeah it, it people would disagree with me people have disagreed with me on this but i think the film is worth seeing just to observe his performance oh, because i, I would totally oh. yes i if anyone's on the fence and my and even listening to us talk about it you're like yeah i, I, I don't know it is worth it just to watch him. Um, he's incredible. Because, yeah, he's really incredible. Because it really is a staggering performance. Um, you feel good about where we're at with Glass? Yeah, uh, I wish. I will say this. Uh, maybe in another context, a much later time, I'd love to get into some non to some actual spoilery conversation about Glass. Maybe that will come at some future date. For right now, I do think it's best to sort of stay out of spoilery camp. But uh, yeah, I. I saw it, loved it, uh, and I saw it. Listeners, yeah, and Nathan <laughs> saw it. <laughs> and uh, listeners, you decide for yourself. Um, so Reed, guess what? what? It's still not time to talk about our main <laughs> event. <laughs> hey, about forty-five minutes. But in. you know what? Like we we figured it out, man. We have cracked the code. I think on something our fans have been wanting from us for quite a while. Can I tell okay. you? Okay. All right. It's, yes. This please. Is, this by is all means. not a surprise to you, but it's going to be a surprise to them. So. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before you say that. Okay. Before you say that, we, I, my, I can't believe, I feel so ashamed as a podcast host. We, we have to officially wrap up that edition of What You Watch What's reading? You're going to shatter glass. What are you listening to etc. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, now go right ahead. That was lovely, Reed. Thank you for singing us out there. So, y'all, there's like, <laughs> there's like, you know, we love our series here at the Fear of God. We sure do. We do. And you know what? <laughs> I know you look at your feed and you're like, are they going to talk about that? And if they are, what is the series that's attached to? Guess what? There are. We're covering. <laughs> we're touching three series in this 
episode in the single episode so you guys have been sort of clamoring and we've worked to try to figure out how to do this stranger things was a a cautionary tale in friendship and media (laughs) consumption and and (laughs) podcasting um of how to (laughs) of how to cover television you know it's it is a challenge because there's there's a lot of content out there um frankly like it, it leads to overstuffed episodes and you don't get to touch all the things you want to in terms of the conversation. Well, man, Reed, I'm excited. I think we may have cracked the code on how to make this work. So guys, today I, I'm going to jump forward and then jump back. So today we're starting a couple of, a couple of series. So um, we'll get to the main one uh, last, but one of those series is going to be this month. And for a few weeks after it, um, hashtag Netflix and chills. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We know Netflix got to in October, but we've been talking about it since summer. Okay. So I was so mad when they announced Netflix and chills because I was like, oh, oh no. no, we should have just said it on the podcast so that we could go back and prove to people that we had it first. But anyway, I know, anyway. I know. So, so Netflix and chills starts officially today. Now, overlapping Netflix and chills is something that feeds into a series later. But, um, you know, we did a TV guidepost last year with Black Mirror, X-Files, Twilight Zone. Um, we are going to start a sub-series of Netflix and Chills right now. That of another run of hashtag TV guideposts. And guess what, Riri? <laughs> what? We are going to the Hill House. Dun-dun-dun! Bro, we are going to cover for the next nine weeks ish mm-hmm. the haunting of Hill House yes. by Mike Flanagan on Netflix. Um, so what we're gonna do, you guys, listen, this is gonna be so easy. We're gonna make this so easy for you. Every episode of The Fear of God over the next eight plus weeks, with maybe an interruption here and there, but generally speaking, we're going to touch on one episode of hill house Mm -hmm. so if you haven't seen it yet and you've just been kind of sitting on it now is your time to watch this show one spoiler alert it's great it's well worth your time so wonderful um it's it's very effective on very 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 many levels for how we're going to do this is each fear of god episode we are going to just discuss briefly one episode of the haunting of hill house specifically a couple of likes and dislikes a couple of scares completely ignoring production content except for maybe episode six and completely ignoring thematics so what's going to happen is we're going to do individual hill house episodes until we do one full fear of god episode at the end covering the final two episodes and all thematics and various other things that we have not discussed up until then does that make sense reed can you i love it I love do it. you think you can follow along at home that way uh, i think so i think so so okay. yes so one episode per for the next yep. few weeks and that'll give you some time to watch it. You don't have to binge yep. it all at one time. Nope. Um, so we're about Thank to. God. Do, <laughs> I know, right? We're about to discuss episode one here in a few seconds, and then tune in next week to hear our brief discussion about episode two, and so on until we culminate into a final conversation about the series as a whole, which will be a full episode in and of itself. Yes. So do know the next five to seven minutes is going to be about Hill House. If you have not started Hill House, jump ahead. Um, go ahead and start it. Uh, just know the next seven plus weeks, eight weeks, however long, we're going to be talking about it. So start following along at home. Jump ahead if you've not started it at all. Let's do this. All right. So 
Riri, episode one of Hill House. A couple of likes and a couple of dislikes. I will name one that covers a multitude of things. Okay. Uh, a, a like I have is some of the freaking framing in this movie. Mm. Um, I'm sure mm. there's a more technical term for that. But what I wrote is you can tell this series was crafted by a competent, conscientious, considered filmmaker. Um, the composition of the shots is stinking expert, namely ones yeah. that jumped out to me. There's two of them both involve Nellie and the bent neck lady. Oh, um, gosh. actually just literally, literally both of the scenes in this episode that cover that one is when the, f- in the foreground, uh, cutting the screen is Nellie laying in bed as a child, mm-hmm. um, her, her body facing the screen and in the back, very subtle until it's not is the bent neck lady encroaching upon the bed. It's just a fantastically composed shot. The second of which is her laying on the couch and they, they reiterate this, you know, kind of imagery multiple times throughout the series, but her laying on the couch, the way the camera uh, moves from her staring at it, just bewildered and frightened and and terrified to how it revolves to the side. And then you see, the bent neck lady's hair just hanging limp. Oh man, it is some effective framing. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Um, I'll I'll speak to something about that. The uh, I think the tone of the show is immediately arresting. You talk about the framing of shots. Um, I think it's not only expertly crafted visually, but I think the the balance between emotion and fright lands in a way that I think not very many filmmakers can pull off. You could be genuinely touched or moved by a particular exchange in one second and then immediately leap into something pretty uh, horrific in the next second. I Like you mentioned that bent neck lady shot when the dad gives this whole speech about dreams spilling over. I'm like, wow, that's a really nice, yeah. tender, touching moment leading right into the reveal and emergence of that bent neck lady. And, um... And uh, I think the first episode does a really good job of just establishing all of the different characters in a nutshell. It's obviously, uh, if you've seen this episode, it's Steven's episode in Deep Dive, but they do a really good job of establishing all of the different characters that you're going to see interact and fleshed out uh, in the coming episodes. But they do well, a good job in this and it's, in this it's funny. I, I had a similar note, like... Now it's, it's 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 kind of impossible to consider this in a vacuum. Like if this was a more episodic, week to week kind of run, we have the benefit of being able to watch it all at once if you want to. But um, that opening episode, which I suppose effectively is a pilot, like for a series featuring seven lead characters, yes, uh, and some 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 secondaries uh, that jockeys between two primary timelines even it with multiple spokes off of it yeah to to create an opening episode that bounces back and forth through time amidst seven characters not it just does it does so much now i have the benefit of having already watched the series once through so i've got kind of a handle on a lot of stuff so it's possible if you're starting it for the first time it can be a little confusing perhaps but knowing all that it does a really impressive job of touching all of the correct nerves to prep you for what this series is about. I agree. It's deep. It's rich. It's resonant. It's scary. It's effective. It's heartfelt. Um, it's moving. It is a really great opening episode that culminates. And I don't know. I can't remember exactly 
it's the latter part of the episode, but that culminates more or less with what is effectively the defining moment of the whole series. And that's mm. them flee them fleeing Hill house. That scene is dreadful. Yeah, it really is. It comes about two thirds of the way through the episode. And okay, it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's, it is, it's absolutely harrowing. And you don't know what I loved about the show was that you don't know. And again, I've seen it all before as well, but with this first episode, it's nice to touch in and see like, wow, they really do flesh out if you watched it and you're watching it for the first time that first episode like nathan mentioned might be a little jumbled or confusing take heart they touch on all of the different things that they're referencing um and it all does make sense as the show progresses but yeah that, there really there really is no fat on that series like it's, no. it is a very considered piece of work and it's impressive for being so um i, I do have a couple of dislikes then we can jump into scares um bless her heart I am just not, and and I even think she'd probably be a really nice human, really nice person, but I am not a fan of Annabeth Gish. Um, oh, really? I oh, wow. Jokingly okay. refer to her as Agent Reyes because she was uh, uh, a, a late X-Files. X-Files edition, and she was really um, stilted and cardboard there. I just, I, whatever her style of performance is, I have never really been able to get on board with. And, and now I think she kind of works for this piece, but she's just so like, uh, buttoned up and mm. and just highly articulated type of line deliveries that have never sure. really done it for me I gotcha. and it's and, and, yeah. anyway so that's a mild dislike anyway that's 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 a me yeah thing. yeah yeah no that it makes sense um i i wrote down um i don't really have any dislikes in this but i did write down um luke might be the cutest child in the history of children oh that I mean, actor maybe. is amazing that he's, actor is amazing wonderful. Yeah, just a little because, uh, yeah, you see that you see the children both as children and as adults, and the child version of Luke is just absolutely adorable. And he, I mean, he's and he's yeah. so darn natural. Yes, like, very natural. My goodness, um, that believable. kid is right on point. Um, but I will say, so I just have two more things, and then maybe we can wrap up this because we do have a, a whole film to talk about. <laughs> um, so, what are you uh, talking about? <laughs> um, so I wrote down a quote that I really love, and I think sets the tone for the series very, very well. Um, it's it's a it's a big moment for Stephen in the episode, but he says a ghost can be a lot of things: memory, a daydream, a secret, grief, anger, guilt. And then I love the way he buttons off that little line. He says most times. A ghost is a wish, and there's a, that I think speaks so well to what the show is after because the show is not just after frights; it is about sort of exploring these kinds of yeah. hauntings and both familial and uh, spatial, and it's just, so there's lots of things that it will dive into emotionally and character-wise. Um, but I thought that line really said it very, very well. And then if you've watched the first episode, you know the the I think. The first moment that I realized, like, wow, I think I'm really going to love this show. Because I liked the whole episode. But then at the end, when it's revealed that Nell is a ghost, it is predictable. Because not only do you kind of guess, like, wait a second, she was just at the house and now she's here. She's probably a ghost. But the name of the episode is Stephen Sees a Ghost. <laughs> so, so that, you're, refer you're referring to when she appears to him at the end? Yes, when she appears oh, to yeah, him at yeah, the yeah. end. Yeah. Uh, despite a bit of predictability, it is remarkably effective. It is really, really unnerving when she well, when he hears I, it. And then, in, yeah. de in, defen in defense of your championing that, I mean, predictable or not, 
the thrust of that episode and stories uh, story steven's story that episode is about how despite making a lucrative career off of other people's ghost stories he himself would have claimed and did claim never having seen one so yeah and doesn't the, believe in them right right right, right. um yeah. uh i do love the line and maybe a similar summary sort of statement uh when they quote shakespeare that there are more things in heaven and earth mm. than are dreamt of in your philosophy horatio that's such a great scene um yeah. last thing we we can't leave it without talking about scares dude the first time i watched this series my wife made fun of me because when uh past tense dad we'll call him elliot for short <laughs> <laughs> um when elliot there's a scene where he's checking on the kids and he walks out of frame and it lingers on this hallway for an incredibly long time, <laughs> just long enough for him to get in bed. And the next shot is him getting in bed. But the audio, especially if you're listening to uh, headphones, is this real uh, abrupt and sudden turning back the covers that's loud and scares the crap out of me the first <laughs> time I saw it. Dude, I was expecting it. I was planning on it, and it still got me. I jumped. <laughs> <laughs> my wife made fun of me and i was i made some cuss words and i was like did it again they did it so again funny. oh my gosh they did it again anyway. that is so funny yeah i uh i i definitely feel like they sort of manipulate the sound on that one because it's, the throwing back covers should not be so no it but should it not really at all is. but it is um, um so yeah we are jumping back into hashtag tv god post thank you for joining us guys thank you for indulging where we're at we will continue to do this for the next several weeks Watch The Haunting of Hill House, especially if you have not yet, um, to catch up, keep up with the conversation, knowing that we're going to unpack a lot of thematics and production stuff in about six weeks or so. So we'll see you then. Um, Reed! Oh my gosh! Hey! Here we I, are. I know I've been talking a lot. Can I? That's all right. Can I, can I tell him what our series is? Please. Like the, the, by all means. The, the deep, deep, deep cut. Yeah, so y'all, they know yes, about I Netflix mentioned... and chills. Tell yeah, them they know about Netflix and chills. Y'all, man, this is exciting. <laughs> so this is gonna be this is gonna be the most robust episode we've ever done in two and a half years. I can't believe that's what <laughs> time that just it is you already. and I have done. Maybe, maybe. Right, we'll right. Always that's have stranger things. Uh, well, will we? I, I really don't <laughs> think we will. Actually, <laughs> that's funny. We'll always have each other, and we'll watch Stranger Things. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so two years ago we did. Um, Universal Monsters. Last year, we did an overarching Hitchcock block of episodes. So we try to do these umbrella sort of se uh, serieses. That's a plural of series. Serieses? Series. I, I think that's just not series. right at all. Yeah. yeah. These umbrellas, these umbrella runs. <laughs> no, that's not right. That's not a good one either. That's never good. Who's having that? Um, an umbrella series. We did the Universal Monsters. <laughs> you with your umbrella runs. As, like as, oh, oh God. You're going to need an umbrella if you're behind <laughs> that guy. Um, <laughs> no. no. Yeah. Um, so we did Universal Monsters two years ago. Last year we did, uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock series. So Reed and I have been wrestling for a while. We've touched on a couple of this creative person's works in our time on the fear of God, but, but, this person has a lot of minor works and some other major works. And we were just like, how do we, how do we do this without betraying some of the thread we've already started uh, developing? And y'all, it just clicked with me. Like if you're, so here we go. Read. 
our Nathan. 2019 Umbrella Series is going to be about works lesser and major of the one and only Stephen King. We dun, are dun, doing dun. it. We're doing it. There's a lot coming this year. Um, now, why it's most apropos or why it worked this year, if you are an ardent fan especially of Stephen King, and I actually I think I'm there, but I know there are like a lot bigger Stephen King nerds even than me. You will know that the number 19 holds a lot of significance in the works of Stephen King. If you're yep. unfamiliar with this sort of bit of business, go read the first uh, Dark Tower book, The Gunslinger. He talks about it at length in the preface to that book. It shows mm -hmm. up multiple, multiple times in the Dark Tower series. It's just one of these iconic sort of Stephen King-isms. And I thought, read, what better <laughs> time... To do a series on Stephen King that might happen to be called 19, then in 2019. Exactly, exactly. Just simply hashtag 19. Dude, we're doing it. And on top of that, this week particularly, it underlays, overlays, overlaps, underlaps, I don't know, however you want to say it, with <laughs> Netflix and chills. Yeah, the umbrella <laughs> runs. Um, with Netflix and chills. Today, y'all, we are talking about the adapted from Stephen King's short story Netflix film, 1922. 1922. Over an hour into our first episode back is the first time we actually said the name of the film we're covering. <laughs> they won't all be like this. That's not what Fear of God 2.0 is going to be. We just had a lot of catch up. Or will it, we haven't or will seen it, our or will it not? I don't know. You, know. you know what it's like when you see your friends after a really long time? You spend probably two, three hours before you really get to what you're actually talking about. You know, like you yeah. don't just come. Yeah, you, you sit out, you hang out. That's that's what we were doing with you listeners. Hopefully you enjoyed all of that. But yeah, so so 1922, well, I well, had... Don't, don't get too far down the path here. 19, okay. Stephen King. Read, are you excited St yes. about oh the fact that gosh. we're talking about the works of Stephen King this year? Yes. Do you want to give uh, any previews to that? Yes, because what I had bemoaned for a long time, you and I are both so rabid fans of Stephen King, and we have a really nice sort of uh, you know little brand that we run through every 25 episodes or so. We do a quarterly King. We've had some great conversations, talked about Carrie, The Shining, uh, talked about It. We just recently covered The Stand. Well, not just recently, but you know, The Stand was the most recent quarterly King. And I was kind of being like, man, I really kind of wish we could find an excuse to get to some different Stephen King stuff more quickly. There's lots of stuff, and I don't want to hold it all for, like, Quarterly Kings, because that's only once every 25 episodes. So when you approached with this idea for 19, which is, you know, a mystical number, as you've already alluded to, um, in Stephen King's canon, uh, it was something that I really was very excited about. So this year we've got a few—I I don't want to call out specific works that we're doing, except for two or three that we know we're going to do. I know we are going to be talking about It Chapter 2 when It Chapter 2 comes out. We're going to cover Pet Cemetery when the new film comes out. Probably going to invite the entire crew from The Stand and from It back to, you know, our version of The Losers Club and Flags Vegas, as it were. Um, we'll bring them back for the uh, the Nathan-dubbed Pet Seminarians, if you will. <laughs> we'll call them we'll call them that. And, and so we're obviously talking about 1922. Uh, I'll go ahead and preview that in a little bit. 
connecting to yet another series. This is just going to be series connecting to series connecting to series. You know? <laughs> but connecting to yet another series, we're also going to be diving into Gerald's game uh, sometime here soon. So there's lots of things on the horizon, but there's also a, a good dozen to 15 other ones that we're kind of considering that we may or may not get to. So those are some definites. There's some more exciting ones on the horizon. So well, and to uh, your, different to exciting your... ones. To your point about wanting to cover more of his stuff, like what is not helpful to us <laughs> in the best way possible is his works are seeing an explosion of oh yeah they are adaptations and coverage in a way that I mean correct me if I'm wrong hasn't been seen in probably decades at least not to this volume um, to this volume it's never been seen yeah right, I mean he right. he was major in the 80s. But even in the 80s, it can't compare to the sheer massive amount of material that gets adapted, uh, both in TV, film, uh, Netflix series. I mean, all these all these different things that are that are. I mean, out. I Major just motion pictures. Yeah, we just posted to the Facebook group the other day the a, a, a TV series about the Outsiders coming out. Mr. Yes. Mercedes has already come out. There's a, yeah. a Doctor Sleep film in prep right now. You know, um, and to, directed to by be, Mike Flanagan of Hill. Yeah, House. yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at there. Um, to clarify, too, you referenced Pet Cemetery 1. If you want to know where that one lodges in Nathan's memory, go listen to episode 1 of The Fear of God. Um, <laughs> That's but all right. Th- actually, don't. It's just a fair episode. I'll tell you, Pet Cemetery <laughs> scared the hell out of me when I was in 5th grade or 6th grade. And here we are again. Um, time is a circle. Um, oh, man. But Sometimes um, dead is better. Yes, yes. Um, to To give fans of the show a heads up, we are going to be covering both the new film um, starring Jason Clark, John Lithgow, and I'm sure other folks whose name are not in front of me. Um, but we're also going to in tandem be talking about it in relationship to the, to the written work, the prose work. So Absolutely. If, you've ne- if you've never read that book, it's scary as crap. Go ahead and pick it up. That movie comes out April 6th. Our episode will release sometime in that time frame. But yeah, it is, it is a good year to be a Stephen King fan. It's a good year really to be is. a Stephen King and the fear of God fan. And that is you guys. And finally, finally read, <laughs> Finally, we can get to 1922. It is here. 1922. It's, it's 2019, but it might as well, in some of the themes that work in this movie, be 1922. Let's do it. <laughs> that's Let's true. Oh, it. my gosh. That's true. Okay. So um, I need to know from you. Have you, me, and we'll, we'll obviously, as we go through hashtag 19, these will be based on the works of Stephen King. Have you read Full Dark No Stars, which is the collection of novellas containing 1922. In answer to your question, Mr. Lackey, <laughs> I have read Full Dark No Stars. Um, yes. Hey, you know what's funny? I'm just, we're just, it's just that time of day. Um, it's, it's, co- <laughs> you've had your coffee. Coffee time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, talking about, uh, Dr. Riedenstein and Frank and Nathan, um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember this about, geez, Louise, uh, 10 years ago at this point. Oh. 13 years ago we moved to the city we live in in 2006 so it would have been roughly that time frame i was trying to get back into some fiction works this is when Mm. i began my renewed uh journey of stephen king material and i reached out to you and i was like hey recommend something you recommended sell and i love it a lot um and you know what i forgot where i was going Wow, they copied. Uh, quite yeah, yeah, yeah. Yet. It just, yeah, it just sort of, it's it synapses fire and then they just shut off. Um, that is hysterical. Regardless, yes, I have read. Oh, oh, all I was trying to say was just the connection point of Dr. Reedenside and Frank and Nathan. You beget this new uh, phase of, of the last dec- uh, dozen years of my Stephen King consumption in the way that You're you welcome. sort of 
tipped me into the the thresholds over the threshold of hell into watching all these um <laughs> and i don't i don't mean because it's a terrible place and that you'll sure, burn there forever sure. but just because it's it's nightmarish sometimes but yeah, yes i have i have be. read full dark no stars it's been a while i did not reread it and prep for the film because honestly it being a relatively short story there's less left out i'm sure in the filmed version than there might be in a normal adaptation and so i was just i was wanting to just kind of enjoy what the movie had to offer so i did not it's, reread it and that makes sense it's it's actually it is a really faithful adaptation they make some it's an effective adaptation in my mind in that they do some things visually that i do think really represent the spirit of the novella uh quite well uh, and yes, all of the major beats of the novella are in the film. Um, so it is a it is a faithful and strong adaptation in that regard. 1922 is my favorite novella in Full Dark No Stars. We remind um, me. Do you yeah, know? It's uh, so. In there? Yeah, it's 1922. Big Driver, which was also made into mm, a film. Yeah, yeah. With, um, um, uh, Maria Bello. Yes, Maria Bello. Um, I did not see that. Fair Extension, which is a, a an outgrowth of the Dark Tower world, actually. Um, and then is that the is that the airplane buddies? That's where they meet in the uh, in the bar. That's where the guy meets in the bar. Yes, but is that the one where one of them? It's it's a it's a sort of guy has a luck turn around because he made a deal with the devil kind of thing. Yes, that's exactly yes, what it is. Okay. Yes, yes, um, the exactly. airplane buddies thing I'm thinking of is I think the the devil character or whatever malevolent creature he per person he is is isn't he at like an air strip or something i don't know i would need so, to reread it if to, to, okay, okay. to recall for some that. reason um, an airstrip kind of stands out to you yeah. yeah yeah um and then the fourth one is um a good marriage which has also been adapted. oh yeah yeah film. yeah i did uh, not watch that film yet uh i have uh, yeah i've seen all of the films associated with it 1922 is the best film and it's the strongest novella the paperback version of full dark no stars also included a grisly little story called under the weather but that's only in the paperback version but yeah 1922 is i think the strongest piece in full dark no stars and i think this is a really solid adaptation this came out the same exact month it is a a netflix produced film and it came out the same month that they also produced huh, the Mike Flanagan-directed Gerald's Game, which we will eventually get to. But, uh, yeah, I think 1922 is this really great subset that Stephen King does sometimes where he just tells gruesome, dark morality fables. But the dark, mm -hmm. but, but like the, the darker edge of morality where people make really heinous choices and then piece by piece live out the gruesome consequences of those heinous choices. Um, 1922 is, is exactly that. Uh, in, in, in brief, the plot of 1922 is, huh, it is 1922, and a farmer by the name of Wilford James is having a rough and rocky marriage. His wife is threatening to sell off all of the farmland and to split the money get a divorce from him, take their son, and leave. And he, uh, desperate to control and maintain a hold on his land and his son, um, devises a plan uh, that he coerces partnership with his son into to murder his wife. In another story, that might be the climactic culmination. But that is only the beginning of 1922. <laughs> it, it, it happens very early in the film um, and happens very early in the novella. And then what proceeds after that are the ramifications and resulting consequential 
things that occur because of his choice uh, to um, coerce his son into murdering his wife. Uh, he and his son together. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what that's the basic premise of 1922. It's a grisly story. Uh, it's a grim story. Definitely not your feel good flick of of the summer. But how did you feel about the the film adaptation as a whole? I feel like I'm betraying 30 minutes ago me that that re, you know attempted to reject either or binary type language. But I loved it. Yeah. Great. Oh, it's, oh, it's yeah, it's a um, wonderful adaptation. I'm glad to hear. And that. I and I had not. All I knew was the having read the material, but all I knew of the production was just that Thomas Jane was in it. I didn't know how it was received. I didn't look at Rotten Tomatoes or anything like that. I just, hmm. and in fact, on that uh, when we went to the New Orleans while the football <laughs> was played, the New um, Orleans. Yeah, yeah. I had. That's when I watched it and our next week's film after. My wife fell asleep. I was like, all right, yeah, I'm going to queue up these uh, terrifying movies. <laughs> um, and so I watched it, um, you know, then on my iPad with headphones on. And that's mm. a really scary, scary way to do that in a bed and breakfast in a city you've never been in. So, yeah, yes, you know, it it's is. fantastic. That said, there's a world where someone um, someone could tell me they disliked this aspect of the film. And I would be like, oh, that's your prerogative. Good for you. <laughs> For me, I loved it. I was not expecting how much I would love Thomas Jane's performance. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's, he makes, and if you haven't seen the film, he makes some real distinctive actor choices um, that someone might specifically read references earlier. Um, some vocal affectations, some kind of physicality affectations that, right. you know, someone might say he's kind of hamming it or overacting. I, to me, it worked. To me, mm. it kind of, it, it served the story well, um, this kind of ne'er-do-well guy, and you kind of understand uh, you don't empathize or you don't sympathize by any means with him, no, but you kind of no. under, understand what he's sort of internally railing against that leads him to these terrible decisions, but I, I found his performance really captivating. Yeah, I alluded, you mentioned this earlier, I, I, I alluded to the sort of the gritted teeth. Like, he never opens his teeth. Almost every word is through, you know, sort of a clenched jaw, which I think works really well for the character. The first, I will say, the first maybe 10 minutes of the film, I don't know if you had this experience, but I remember thinking like, dang, man, Thomas Jane is just is just weird in this, and I don't know that I like it, but he really infuses, it's so committed, I think is the thing, is that he is so committed to it yeah. that yeah. about 15 minutes in, you just start to buy that that's the character who it is because he never loses it. Right. Now, you haven't references yet. Did you did you watch it when it initially released and then yes. rewatch for this? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Something about, I, I don't know, I think I think just knowing Fear of God 2.0, trust Reed Lackey with choices, um, <laughs> con, uh, uh, content choices. Sure, you know, sure. Not, not other choices. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, knowing it had a generally positive vibe knowing I liked the source material. I was kind of just open to what it had to offer me. And so I, I it, it takes a brief moment of adjustment to his frequency yes, of performance, yes. but it, it really didn't, it didn't, it was not dissonant to me at all. Um, now uh, talk about deep cut King fans. And even though this is probably technically not maybe that deep of a cut, but I loved and 
please be proud of me. I will. Um, I think I'm, I think I know right where you're going. At, right, right at the front end, he makes a reference to living at Heming- Hemingford Homes. Yes. Yes. And I was like, that's pretty badass. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah. He, if, you, if you're following along at home, Hemingford Home is where Mother Abigail lives before she joins up with the uh, Boulder band in the book, The Stand. Yep, so. exactly. And uh, yeah, Hemingford Home has has shown up in a couple of different Stephen King works, to, uh, only referentially. I think only The Stand and uh, 1922 have it so heavily focused upon. Uh, but I know it's referenced in it. I think it might even be referenced in Children of the Corn. But um, but yeah, it's it, it is. Uh, I'm I'm incredibly proud of you that you pulled that out without. I'm presuming without looking at Wiki or anything no. like that. So, no, I did not. I know you didn't. That's why I'm very proud of you. Um, hashtag hashtag nineteen. <laughs> um, I, I will say that like the getting back to the sort of the power of the novel. Um, I get novel novella. It's not, it's not novel length, but, um, but it is, I mean, it's a good, you know, 180 pages. So it's, it, it would be considered a novella. It, it, there's a, there's a thoughtful power to this story that I think they adapted very well. Some films, when they adapt, uh, mostly stream of conscious narratives where a character is making a voiceover confession, they either, right. o- they either overdo it and tell you too much and get kind of uh, annoying and oversaturated with it, or they give you so few touch points for it that they uh, that you can barely follow what's going on. It just feels like, oh, I'm going to show up at the beginning and I'm going to show up at the end. But one of the things that I loved about the novella is hearing some of what's going on inside this character, um, who, as you said, we never... You mentioned it earlier in, I think, a perfect way. You never sympathize with him. You never empathize with him. But you kind of understand, and that's what's so weird about it is it's like you you understand why he would make the choices he did, even though you never like affirm them or are on board for what he's doing but you right, but King right. does a masterful job of establishing that this character would arrive at these choice points, and I think that's that's really impressive that he manages to do that um couple other just sort of likes dislikes stuff i do think the production in general just looks great i agree um, it's no. really well shot i thought the score was pretty strong <laughs> this is um this is just a nathanism i wrote the cow on the well i <laughs> when that moment happened read my brain in like you know zero to 60 just concocted this whole montage of ever increasing in size things that they put on top of that well to try to bury what's under it it's like it's like oh now it's the cow oh that didn't work now we're gonna roll the tractor up on the well it's gonna fall in oh somehow that's not gonna work what are we gonna throw in this well i don't know it was just really that is that is pretty funny pull on the cow that is pretty funny um yeah the and and that's another that's direct from the novella which i at first i was like what in the world are they doing with this cow it's like oh okay yeah it's again to this understanding of the character like he's covering his bases i love the line i love the line where he said murder is sin murder is damnation but murder is also work i'm like oh my gosh that's a wonderful line because i mean it is (laughs) How would you know? <laughs> um, 2.0, bro. 2.0. Oh, wow. Um, no, I, I did think the whole cow stuff was utterly ridiculous. Um, utterly ridiculous. I did. <laughs> there you are. Um, coffee's working. Um, 
I my last kind of note on the likes dislikes is I just love the efficiency of the storytelling. Man, I yes. love having now this is maybe directly from the novella, but again, it's been a while since I've read it. Having the ghost of the dead mom or whatever she is tell the story of the sweetheart bandits to him like that was just such a great so, way to cover a lot of narrative yeah i, I can't quite yeah i can't quite remember uh if that is part of the novella or not uh memory is kind of foggy on that element but i think for the film it sure. is so that's uh we're not in scares yet but that is that is one of the most frightening moments in the film to me where she just sort of floats down those stairs with the rats all surrounding her and yes. then it yes. culminating in her delivering that devastating, you know, sequence of that narrative of how the sweetheart bandits died. That's just the sweetheart bandits. For those who may not have seen the film and are, are not going to see the film, the sweetheart bandits are his son who following, uh, you know, helping his father murder his mother ran away with his pregnant girlfriend and they had no livelihood, so they become robbers. And in one of a bot, in, in in sort of escaping, uh, she gets she gets wounded, uh, she gets shot, and then um, yeah, it it does not end well for them. Nothing ends well for anybody in this film. Um, no, it so, really doesn't. But the fact that her the his wife's ghost relayed all this information to him, it it's very effective for the film. Really powerful, um, in devastating ways, but really powerful. Do you have any other like like dislikes? Um, like to... I love, absolutely love. I love the word. I love what it connotates. I love the concept of the conniving man. I think it's one of mm. King's more powerful sort of character creations. Um, this idea, and and uh, basically all it is is uh, Wilford James made uh, a a comment. Uh, before he begins to carry out his scheme, where he said, "I believe there, there's That's, this may that maybe at the top of the film. That's pretty it's, early. It's, yeah, it's pretty early. Um, I believe there are two. There's another person inside of every man, and he said this. You know, this this conniving man. This this. Well, let me let me clarify for you because I wrote it down. Oh yeah, please so please quote it. Yeah, he says, "There's another man <laughs> inside every man." A stranger. A stranger, yes. A conniving man. Oh, it's so great. I loved that. I loved that inclusion. Thank you for. I'm so glad you wrote it down. That inclusion of a stranger. Yes. Like some somebody within you that you can't explain their motivations and you cannot articulate their intentions, but they are driving you. And I, I, that's that's powerful. That is that's something that King does really really well in terms of just uh, sort of capture in a microcosm. The capacity for human ill, and and that all. Oh. Are you? I mean, do you want to just go to themes? Yeah, we can. Yes, well, no, no I'm kidding. Because there's some scare. Well, no, no, no. Let's do some touch some scares real quick. Because this is scary. I will okay. tell you this. My scares. There's four things on it. Every bullet point on there has a reference to the word rat. Yes, that's likewise. <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. those are so effectively used in that movie. It's yes. disgusting and horrific at the same time. Oh my. Because every single time they show up, even as you recognize that they're a through line, every time they show up, it's a shock. Like it's a it's a little bit of a like when you hear the scurrying and stuff like that. Like, I, well, I shouldn't say every time. The first two times, like when he opens the well and sees them down there, holy crap! Like that's alarming. 
and then that one is like digging around in her jaw and like backing oh, up out of her jaw. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, but then you kind of forget about him for 15 minutes, and then he goes out to the barn, and those poor cows, like, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Now that was utterly disgusting. <laughs> it really was. Literally. If you've seen the film, you know why that was literally utterly disgusting. But, but, um, but yeah, it's like they, they really create. It's fascinating, too, because I, I do kind of remember this about the novella. Again, I didn't reread it before this, but I kind of remember this about the novella that um, his ultimate end, in, and it's left somewhat ambiguous in the film as to whether he's just maddening, whether he's. It, there's, it, it's, it's hard to believe there are really rats scurrying through the walls of this hotel, this, you know, hotel that he happens, you know, that's hard to believe. Um, But the novella, I think, actively lays out that in his confession, he believes that the rats are coming to get him. And there's a newspaper clipping after the his confession letter is done, basically stating that he went mad and did it to himself, which is horrendous. That is just. Yes. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the rats, the rats are just, they're everywhere. They're terrifying. It's awful. Um, let's go to themes. We've been talking a long time and I think I'm, I'm worried there's a world that exists where even this can, is going to take okay. us a while. Um, so to me, there's two primary themes and I think probably much of what you would have to incorporate here is going to touch on one of these two. I think, um, one, Let's let's set the conniving man aside for a moment because he's okay. going to fact he's going to factor heavily and talk generally uh, uh, just about the general idea of the morality aspect, okay, um, which is kind of broad. So, like one thing that I find so great as a storytelling feature of this narrative. And if you're not going to watch it, read, summarize the, the, the sort of inciting elements really well. But what happens in the story is Wilf, as they call him, is reluctant to get rid of any of this land. Um, you know, he murders the wife to retain the land, um, as well as a few other aspects. Everything he actively tries to quash through the murder of her ends up coming to pass. Yes, incidentally and in that way it's the most distressing tragedy Mm -hmm. you know tragic tale there is i mean it's just incredibly hard to watch this dude who commits this horrific heinous act even yet even knowing he did this continue to buckle under the weight of all these things that he was that he did this terrible thing to try to ensure certain things didn't happen all those things still happen. Yes. Um, and so, I don't know. I found this whole notion interesting of two lines that play into this sort of morality aspect. Um, one that may as well be a tagline for the film, if it had one, like a movie poster, is, in the end, we all get caught. Oh, that line. Oh, my gosh, that line. Yeah. yeah. And then the other one that we can kind of look at these in dialogue with each other is that's I don't even remember where it falls. I imagine it's pretty late. He says there was, there was another way there always is. Mm. And I mean, what? Yeah. What? No, no, just, I wrote the same quote down. I just finished it. The, the, and, and I'll, let's still talk about it. You know, there, the, 
there was another way, there always is, and then it's the final line of the film. No, not the very final line, but one. it's the last line that Wilfred says. He says, uh, Henry was right, there was another way, there always is, but in 1922, the conniving man inside of Wilfred James had begged to differ. And I wow. just think there's yeah. there's a yeah. there's a power in that, and and that's it, it's so relevant to kind of where I'm going to contribute yeah. the theme. I didn't want to leave it off, but yeah, go by um, all means, keep going. So no, and sincerely, let's do our best for the moment to put Konami Man to the side because he's going to have his say. Um, but from that morality aspect, like in the end, we all get caught. There was another way. There always is. Like I just I think this is such a fascinating story because. Um, something, a word that kind of came to me watching it, that it's, it's, it's a word that has a lot of baggage attached to it, but is just repentance. Like what, Hmm. what, what, what would it have meant for this man to own his sort of transgression here? You know, Hmm. like, which I guess, I guess you can make the case that is what he's doing in the end, but I don't exactly know where I want to go with this conversation, this, this part of the conversation, except that in the end we all get caught. Yeah is is such a fraught sort of declaration Mm. um you know and and i i think cautionary tale is a great sort of genre for what how this might be morality tale but my wife who asked me the other day why do people watch scary things like tales like this illustrate this so perfectly like this is extreme but Mm -hmm. It's about just the the fruits of our intentional errors, mm. you know, mm-hmm. and 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 what do we do with those things, and how do we how do we stave off that rotten fruit? Um, yeah, you know what what do we do when we indulge it and have to sort of suss out life in its wake? Mm. Um, I don't know. It just, it just asks a lot of these really interesting questions that I don't have any pat answer to other than just to say it's a, it's a, it's a deeply unsettling and deeply troubling, but deeply fascinating kind of dialogue it's after. Yeah. No, I, and I feel like that's part of, there's an old metaphorical image of an angel on your right shoulder and a devil on your left shoulder. And in these conversations about, actions having consequences you know i think I, I, I it's hard not to recall like you know a show like breaking bad where right the the you know the moral conscience of the show is this is what happens when people do not repent and do not relent and continue to head stubbornly into destruction thinking by their own cleverness and by their own uh sheer force of will that they will escape the comeuppance that that is before them um and that is that's an incredibly compelling thought but what's what's worse about it is i think there are people who do not believe that they will get caught i think that's why that line the whole like in the end we all get caught there's something about when these kinds of schemes happen, they don't exist unless you either A, believe you will get away with it, or B, are perfectly willing to accept the consequences for not getting away with it, as if you are perfectly content and happy Mm -hmm. to just proceed with it. And I don't know, I think that stories like this can be incredibly valuable, not just, yes, you could write off 
you you could write off and just say like, oh yeah, uh, actions have consequences. I'm being really reductive and dismissive here. Um, but, sure, but yeah, actions yeah. have consequences. Uh, you will get your comeuppance in the end. You could be real reductive and say all of those things. But what strikes me about, and this is definitely true of the novella. If you've not if you've not read like if you're averse to the film and seeing the things. Well, actually, the novella is way more gruesome. Never mind, I said that. Yeah, the novella is way more gruesome because it goes into much more descriptive detail. Um, But there's a power to it in the its ability to capture that honestly consequences when you convince yourself to do something like this, the consequences don't really matter. Like they don't really matter to you. The aims that you have. uh, I'll say it this way. Let me back up. That. What strikes me about this film and this story as so powerful is that it presents our capacity to talk ourselves into admitted objective evil. Our capacity to convince ourselves that the evil thing to do is the right thing to do or, to tie directly into the film, is the only thing to do. To conv- and, and, and this displays Wilfred's capacity to do that. It's not impulsive in the film. His, and, and this is what I find kind of so frightening about his character. He does not just get furious at his wife one day and just do away with her. He doesn't do that. He schemes it to the point that he grooms his son to participate. Yeah. That is, that, I mean, like, that is... The layer upon layer. That's of, the that's the millstone around the neck. Goodness gracious! Yeah. Oh yeah. The premeditation, the level of premeditation that he puts into this, to do this to the degree that, like, the night it happens, he's you know actively deceiving her to Getting sort her of drunk. make her let her guard yeah. down. Yeah. Get her drunk and and you know a faux celebration and all this stuff. Like that is we use the word premeditation and. Premeditation to us can mean like, oh, just they thought about doing it beforehand and then just went and did it. Or, you know, they schemed it to some degree. Like this is layered upon layered planning and and conniving. Like that. Well, let's do it. The word is so appropriate. Yes. Um, And and I'll say this because I don't know kind of what you want to bring up about this conniving man. But that's what I felt so powerful about this story is it takes the angel on your shoulder and the devil on your shoulder, and it brushes them off and instead digs them deep in and says something that I find really compelling in that, no, 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 that was not some external force that was pushing you into nefarious trappings. That was something within you that you listened to and that you gave ear to and that you allowed to determine your course of behavior. And that's a really, you want to talk about a moral statement, like that's a really powerful concept. This thing that you can admit is somewhat other, but yet is specifically and deliberately you, you know. And again, I just love that final line, you know. There always is another way, but the conniving man inside Wilford James begged to differ. And I'm just, uh, yeah, I, I think... I would be hard-pressed to unpack the metaphor because I feel like the metaphor packs such a compelling punch. Yes. Just this idea of a conniving man within you compelling you to things you know are wrong. 
so I feel like there's a way, um, you know, like sometimes we can be reductive, not you and I, but just kind of uh, Christian subculture way of like, oh, the old man, the new man, this this kind of uh, generalized um, way we can speak about categorical humanity, um, which is a really weird way to say that. But I want to take the notion of the conniving man and focus on both of those words. To me, mm. there's something really fascinating. So I'm interested right now, Reed, to, to get your brain going on where this might go, because I know you probably have some thoughts on this. We are in a current state of culture, 1922, 2019, here we are, of conniving men mm. who... That that almost those two words are inextricable from each other. Mm. It's not just a conniver. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, and and what's fascinating about Wilfred is culturally, what he was resisting was a massive cultural paradigm shift. Right? It's it's the move away from agriculture. Um, it's the the women women just had the right to vote two years previous to this film so like there is this yeah, yeah. there is a pair um david gushy who i referenced many times last year talks in his book of changing our minds about there's paradigm shifts and there's paradigm leaps when mm-hmm. culture and and i don't even mean that in the the negative way that christians often can but when just a society uh, uh, the way a culture operates doesn't just take a dial turn but jumps to a next step a paradigm leap so things like uh, abolition of slavery, things like, um, you know, women getting the right to vote, things like the Voting Rights Act for, for African-Americans, mm. um, things like industrial revolution, you know, these, these paradigm leaps that push us forward. Well, I know this is a root that's, you know, 3000 foot view here, but, but drive it back down to the conniving man. This is a man. And one thing I do love about this movie and odds are good this is sustained in the text is she's not wicked or heinous or like it's a it's a real thin line to walk in a film like this to not give us as the viewers any reason to think she deserves this right yeah i agree yeah and so that's a big deal they did a good job on the casting they did a good job on the script to not have her have any shred where we could be like, oh, she had it coming. Right. She doesn't at all. No, no one does. Right. But even still, it matters that it's a conniving man. It matters that it's a man resistant to the change that's happening around him. A man who's resentful of more successful men. Yes. Yeah. And I just think there's something really interesting happening here that can speak to us. Now, this is actually me sort of patting myself on the back here, like in, in a particular way. I've just never attached value to the fact that I'm a man. There are certainly ways in which I've benefited from that fact, and I'm not ignoring that. But like I don't I don't watch sports. I don't care about sports. I don't yeah, buy into right. that sort of kind of macho paradigm. I have a degree in theater. Like dudes don't traditionally do that. Like I just don't attach a lot of identity mm-hmm. to masculinity. Okay. If right. that if that right. if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah and so changes and ebbs and flows and paradigm shifts that affect gender culturally 
I don't feel inherently intimidated by because it's more about, okay, well, let's, oh, oh, so-and-so, you know, this, this population needs more of a voice. Their voice is being muted. Let's offer them that. Well, because I don't personally, historically, you know, attach great weight to masculinity per se, I'm less resistant or resentful when folks who aren't me start speaking up. But that is exactly what is happening in this film is she is trying to assert agency. Mm -hmm. Hey, I want to go do this thing. Like it's, it's dead out here. I have this. And there's so much at work in this, in this, the, the relationship between them, the two of them. Yeah. He's, he's kind of a bum on a certain level who only Mm -hmm. really knows sort of how to till the land, if you will. Right. She hasn't, she has an actual skill set in terms of this, tailoring you know mm-hmm. kind of se- seamstressness yeah. that cannot have any fruition where they're at right and it's just this uh, anyway I'm, I'm talking a lot but i'm trying to set up and hear from you how this interacts because i do think that notion there's another man inside every man it doesn't say there's someone else living inside you they are a stranger they connive when you don't know it it is there's another man inside mm-hmm. every man he is a stranger to mm-hmm. you but he is conniving. And if you are not mindful, this is me adding or, or you know, in, yeah. embellishing. If you are not mindful, he will start working on your behalf. My initial response is, I think I always just associated that it was a conniving man because he was a man. Um, so what you're what you're drawing out here is. Yes. And y- yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is is the the specificity of. You know, that that perhaps because I guess I guess that would be my first initial question would be, you know, it is conniving. Uh, and I don't think it is. I don't I don't think conniving is a I wouldn't assign that to a gender specifically. I, I think there is the capacity in humanity to connive, if you will. I mean, like the, the, the uh, drinking game for how many times we use the word connive. But I think that. For him specifically, there is here's what I latched onto with what you were talking about. In him, there very much is this resistance to the established ways in which he asserts his value. I think there right. might even be a line in the film about you value the land and you value your son. Like that those those are very he doesn't say your child, your son. And right. and and those are the things. Those are the two things that she is demanding that he let go of. I can at least understand why he doesn't want her to take his son from him, because that gets into relationship and gets in all this. Except that for him, it's not really about that. For him, it is absolutely about control and status and. I, this is mine. Yes. You know, like you cannot take my son because this is mine. Yeah. But I think it's fascinating. And th- this is actually why I wanted to introduce. This is why I said, let's hold off a conniving man. Cause I thought this would be a good conversation. I really want listeners of, of male and female gender to reply to this and, and, and have some conversation here. Cause I think it's fascinating. Like, see, hear me uh, untethered to this conversation. I would have not have said, I would not have refuted sort of what you said, but in the thick of it, like I do think there is a predisposition, a, a, a 
broad, you know, speaking very broadly and generally, more at least inherent to men, a conniving spirit. And well, let me let me caveat that by simply saying, what Wilf is craving, as you just said, is control. It is uh, status quo. It is um, the way things have always been. It's it's, and I mean that literally, as in like agriculture. This is what I know. It's also power. It's it's oh, there's this hundred um, these hundred acres. That means increased, you know, sort of influence and status. I do think those things, personally, this is me just sort of observing yeah, yeah. And, and all that sort of stuff. I do think those things are more inherent to men. Because I think the difference of what is happening between these two characters, she isn't after power. She's after um, flourishing. Mm. I yeah, think. yeah. She's after, hey, we are stuck. We're in a rut. Like, can, can, hey, 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 Wilf, like, like, you're stuck in the mud. This is why I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. Like, you won't see uh, what's happening here because you're resentful of the way the world is moving. You're, you're reluctant to let go of what has been. And you would love for what has been to continue to be and grow. That's not going to be the case. I've got this thing that could do us well. Can we Mm. investigate that? That's really all she's asking for. And this is what, so this is what I meant earlier about the tragedy of the film is he ends up in the city anyway. Yeah. Oh no, it's true. It's true. So, so all that to say, I would be more of the disposition disposition to say, I do think there's something you you made the statement a moment ago or, or three minutes ago or whatever about like I don't think it's gendered. I understand what you're saying that there's a propensity in us just as humans to crave more and to you know kind of covet and these sorts of things. I do think though, as the gender that has been on the top side of the entirety of mm-hmm. history, it is very difficult for us to relinquish any of that. Thus more predisposed perhaps to us than women is the the capacity to connive in order to retain and maintain that status and power if that it makes does, sense. it's so funny like it it does so okay <laughs> it does make sense that i i think i disagree but i don't disagree to the level where like what i what sure. i don't dis, yeah. what i don't disagree with is i don't disagree with the capacity being stronger in men to want to maintain control, maintain an assertion of power. I don't think that's really deniable to me. Um, An assertion of power and a feeling of threatened when that power begins to dissolve or to dilute or to begin to evade them. Um, I think if, if that were what we were talking about when you say conniving, then I don't disagree at all. I think maybe I'm equating the words conniving and scheming because I don't think scheming is an inherently male thing. I think that any individual who sees a thing and wants to obtain a thing, I'll, I'll, I'll use this example, and even as I trudge into these waters, I'm a bit fearful because I'm a man. Sure. Um, but my understanding of stereotypes I'll I'll acknowledge it as that. My understanding of stereotypes is that there is a certain stereotype surrounding uh you know a a person uh male or female but particularly maybe a woman who's like that man doesn't know it yet but I'm going to get him to marry me. 
And and that's, you know, albeit a benign and potentially very fruitful scheme, is still a scheme. And there may be this thing of like, and we've seen it constant times, my husband is too dumb to realize that I'm actually pulling the puppet strings and getting him to do this thing. Now, those are stereotypes. Perhaps, particularly to the women listening to the audience, they may be very reductive, and I'll even admit possibly very offensive stereotypes. I'm a man, so it's so I'm blind to that. But all I'm trying to say is I think that in that in that regard, that's why I'm resistant to whole cloth agree that conniving is specifically a male trait, whereas I wouldn't disagree that the overt reaction to a loss of power is a male thing because we've yes, been would, we've been topside for so long, as you said. Right. And I, I would I would um, nuance not by saying the capacity to connive is is uh uniquely male mm. Mm. uh i would say it is predominantly male i don't think i disagree and, with and, that and yeah. and how and and again perhaps definitions are important to me as i comprehend and and sort of i i did not look up a strict definition for this but how i would compromise comprehend uh conniving is just um scheming in order to gain regardless of consequence mm. You know, um, scheming in order to gain, scheming in order to um, um, sustain influence, power, what Mm -hmm. have you. And, you know, again, this is why I think this is an interesting story. It's it can't be ignored. It's it's uh, it's temporal setting. You know, I mean, it it, again, immediately on the heels of uh, women getting the right to vote. Yeah, like this woman is is is. trying to assert some agency and i i just i don't i don't know i don't know it's it is because because to me that these stereotypes you're referencing and are identifying are you know stereotypes exist because we can occasionally broadly see them you know in society but you know there are just as equal offensive stereotypes on on the side of men and and yeah it's it's not it's not so much hey who's the worst gender by any means no, I'm not saying no, that. No, no. um it's it's just i do think the capacity to pursue control to maintain control to grow power uh to exert influence though not uniquely are predominantly most expressed in in men um, well, I'm not, I'll I'll stop you right there to say the the yeah, distinction yeah, yeah. between unique and predominant. I don't disagree anymore. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like yeah, that yeah, is yeah. one thing. It's like uniquely male is different than predominantly male. I don't disagree that yeah. that yeah. especially when we're talking about power and control. Um, you know me. I mean, you've had multitude of conversations with me now at this point. I'm very resistant to any statement that would assert. Uh, men are like this and leave it at that or or right, women are right. like this and leave it at that like i just i i believe the capacity for these shades of things exist in 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 all of us dependent upon our station yes. and our condition uh so that that's why i resist some of that some of that categorization yeah oh i know i know and and I, and i i recognize you know it's a sensitive conversation and and uh, we explore, we don't explain, but it's so fascinating. This is just coming to me. I reference often, and good lord, at some point we've got to wrap this episode because <laughs> spoiler alert, we got to do another one after it. Um, <laughs> the Chris Hayes Why Is This Happening podcast, man, you should go listen to this. He did an episode about a month ago during our break called Organizing in Trump Country. 
Hmm. And his guest was a community organizer who I don't know a ton about community organizing, except at least title-wise, it's relatively self-explanatory. But it's the intention to organize a community for the purposes of kind of greater sort of civic influence is mm, kind of the mm. idea. So so go into less uh, uh, arena or a region that has folks who are seeing less representation than they'd like and sort of trying to gather them, organize them so their voice is amplified. Well, interestingly, this guest, and he's this very learned guy who's uh, ascended from where, and he's, he's a, a white guy, but he was strung out in drugs as a late teenager, f- basically fell into a soup kitchen at 20 years old, worked in this soup kitchen for about three years until he started experiencing this kind of renewal of his own life through that experience, started trying to help the people who were coming through the door have a greater voice in their community. Mm-hmm. So this is his ascension. He now works on this major nonprofit, na- major national nonprofit, where they basically, and man, there are times when I get so annoyed. This is a super random ast- or insertion here where I get so super annoyed with the highfalutin spirituality that Christians will often use in their language, like mm. thing ways they speak that have no bearing on the practical world around them. And then you listen to, I, I, at least I listen to a conversation like this one and I'm like, holy cow, this dude is transforming lives. And it is about as gospel as you can get, not as in because he's using the work and resurrection and right, life of Jesus right. as his root, but because his intention is, hey, you are blinded by certain things. Here is some other things for you to ponder. And people are being transformed through that work. Right. And it's really beautiful and fascinating. The, the point I'm trying to make here is he outlines folks who have been sold a certain bill of goods by power. By yeah. conniving men who these this populace that he is trying to reach and read, he uses words like being a counterforce. Mm. It's not militant language. It's oh my God, you you would love this conversation. He he reads a a, a flyer they found in this um region they're trying to reach and read. It's it says it's got this really lovely language, and it's and this is in North Carolina, by the oh, way. Oh wow. Um yeah, he he cites this flyer they found in in a region they're trying to do some work in. It's like, hey, are you struggling with uh, drug abuse? Um, there's a better life available for mm-hmm. you. Wait for the punchline here. There's a better life available for you here. We're here to help and listen. The the organizing body that distributed this flyers at the end of it, it says, um, "Your local white knights of the KKK." What? His point is, there are malevolent forces recruiting for their cause under the pretense of helping those who are being, you know, kind of jackbooted by wow. things like drug abuse and opioid distribution. So he develops this language of being a counterforce and and uses language like meaning making. This is all about to tie back into 1922. So he says we go into these communities and just develop relationships, communicate with people who are being blinded by these forces as a counterforce to help them develop meaning-making experiences and comprehension of the world around them through things like, hey, it is not uh, foreigners and immigrants who are taking your jobs. It is big pharmaceutical companies that are uh, distributing or, or, or not regulating opioids into your community. Basically redirects 
this frustration, angst, and anger that Wilf is experiencing uh-huh. to where it is properly meant to be placed. Like these mm-hmm. are the things that are actually impacting you. He talks about the border crisis of family separations being a huge turning point for meaning making and counter force development in these communities. Yeah. All this to tie back into 1922 and conniving men is the problem Wilf is having is not with his wife. Mm. It is with forces that he just doesn't have the eyes to see mm. and chooses like these people in these communities who say, no, 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 it's the immigrants taking my job. It is people come in as a counterforce and say, wait a minute. No, this, this isn't really what's happening. Here's not just data, but sort of reasons and, and rational explanations for why what you believe about the state of the world is incorrect. Here's where some more valid interpretations of what you're experiencing lie. God, Wilf, what's his face? I can't remember his last name. James. Needs someone, needs someone to come in and say, Hey, it's not her. It's. Right. And, and the reason, the reason I'm dragging, driving into this, and I know we've got to wrap up is you and I have these lovely conversations sometimes. And, you know, I have three daughters. You have a son. We are simpatico as the day is long as adult men, but we are developing uniquely distinct views on the world because right. of our children. Yes. And, yes. and you, you lament rightly so. Like, where, you know, where is the finger to be pointed at just the culture at large? Like right, where right. are these, how, how is it that the buck always tends to, to, to fall to men? And, and that's a very rational, reasonable question. And I, ju- I just think, and, and, and I know you don't think this, but my earlier, uh, uh, development of the notion of the conniving man being because of manness and manhood has nothing to do with indicting men or indicting humans with external genitals. Like that's not it at all. It's simply saying there are forces at work Mm -hmm. that are, that are conniving themselves to develop in us incorrect views of the people around us. Yes. And I'll, I'll piggyback on that. Sorry. No, 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 no. I I have a, a very concrete thought. I don't want to lose it. Yeah. 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 He says in the film, he says, I could have gone to the law. He says it early. And it's after he's introduced the idea of the conniving man. He said, um, I, and, and I, I didn't write the quote down, but he says, I could have gone to the law, but something stopped me. And this is what he said. And I'm going to tie this back into what you just said. Sure. What yeah, he yeah. says is something stopped me. And then he says, I had come to hate her. That's what stopped me. Wow. He says, I had come yeah. to hate her. And what you're describing, I'm going to say this and then maybe... Eventually, maybe after this, we can we can wrap a bow on it, um, because what happens when you have these forces that are that are saturating your worldview in ways that you can't control or understand these these forces that are pushing yes. you into these different places, formulating into a conniving man that now mm-hmm. has a face to put to all of the things that you are struggling with. Yes. And they attach yes. it to that face. Yes. He didn't hate her. He married her at some point. He didn't always hate her. But these right. things that have developed right. in him, he says, I had come to hate her. And that's what that's what stopped him right. from doing what probably would have been a different way, maybe would have had the same outcome in terms of him still losing the land and everything, but it certainly would not have sent him down the path of damnation that it did to do this other thing. And... And and it's because he had a face yes. associated 
with all of the ills that he was seeing. That's this, that's this substance of the conniving man. The conniving man formulates yes. all of these things that you feel angsty about, that you feel frustrated by, that you feel disenfranchised, that you feel, you know, oh, but it's, you know, I, I hate that this is the way my life is. I hate that my premiums are too high. I hate that, um, that I can't find good yes. work. I hate, I can't, I hate all of these things. I hate them, hate yep. them, hate them. And, and I, I need an object for my hate. Yes. And the conniving man inside each and every one of us says, you know what it is? It's that one right there. It's right, them. Right. And they point that finger. And then we come to hate the face that it has formulated and says, that is the problem. And what you need to do is you need to stop that, that whoever it is, you need to stop that person or that group of people at all costs because that is your that is your problem. And then the conniving man talks us into, man, I love this film. The conniving man talks <laughs> us into doing things we would objectively deem evil because the reality is we have come to hate and because we have come to hate yes because we and yes. you're anyway you are you are identifying when i was a minute ago trying to articulate why this real person in the real world's actions so spoke to me of the work of jesus is you are identifying what our role is to be which is to identify that there is a spirit of this age that is going to stir up in you mm. this conniving mm -hmm. man. And is our it is our role to intercede and intercept and to be a counterforce between that spirit and the individuals around us. Yeah. And that is a damn hard work. Yes. You know, yeah. uh, uh, Wilf says murder is hard work. Brother, redemption, restoration, intercession, interception. I mean, the, the saints couldn't mm -hmm. do it. Um, the, <laughs> wow. who, who knew there was so much football language that was going to happen in this episode? I don't oh, even watch wow. it. Um, but that is hard work. And we we wash our hands of that work at the expense of our brothers and sisters. And I would say our brothers are more susceptible to that conniving who then use that conniving to oppress our yeah. sisters. Uh, that's just me, but it's it's a fascinating and sad dynamic that us as harbingers and embodies embodiers of the spirit of Christ have a right and a duty and if we can call it a privilege to be those go-betweens for people. Abs I don't know. No, That's no, the, absolutely. Absolutely. Happy and, New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. Um, I will say this in Fear of God 2.0, um, I'm not going to necessarily always feel the compulsion to um, bring in a scripture verse every single time because I feel like we we reference scripture and talk about it in such ways. And I think our listeners understand at this point, that rather than putting a bumper sticker on every episode, but there was one I wanted to mention with this one. Uh, <laughs> I know. I'm not always going right, to, right. but there but was But I am one right now. That, that, but I will right now. Uh, Numbers chapter 32 and verse 23, I just think this uh, th this phrasing is, is pretty powerful. Um, and uh, it's talking in context of different things that the Lord is compelling them to do. And it says, in Numbers chapter, 20, chapter 32, verse 23, it says, But if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. It's the phrasing that I loved about, you know, yeah. your sin will find you end, out. In the end, we all get caught. Exactly. Yeah. Put another way, in the end, we all get caught. Um, 
dude, this is a powerful film, and I think it's, it's great. It's, it is yeah, great, and uh, and so w- maybe uh, to tie off this, welcome, both, welcome, welcome uh, to Fear of God 2.0's gender studies class. <laughs> exactly. Hope you've enjoyed the conversation. So, in this two plus hour conversation, uh, we are uh, going to end with a bit of perhaps some sad news, although he will always be in our hearts. Um, we are 2.0. Fi- no, it's not. I mean, yes, 2.0. But yes, it's it's, ce- it's a celebration. It's a new. exactly, exactly. Um, so we are officially retiring the David S. Pumpkins as he'll always be our mascot. But we're officially retiring him as the ratings system by which we gauge these films. We have a new any, one. Any questions? <laughs> <laughs> we have a new one that we're introducing. Um, and uh, we're just calling this. You can. Thank Nathan for this. I thank him for it because when he said it, when he blurted it out, I was like, that has to be what it is. Uh, we're calling it the fog meter. That's all it is. It's, <laughs> it's the fog meter. Um, so we're just basically going to look I at I love how, in case they didn't like it, you were sure to preface. <laughs> I uh, you washed can thank my Nathan hands of that. This. Right, right. Yes, yes. The conniving man told me to do that. So, um, <laughs> well, I beg um, to differ, mother. <laughs> So um, we we honed in on our show, you know, in sincerity, we we wanted to stay sort of on brand with our show name. Our show is called The Fear of God, of course. Um, If you've been listening this long and didn't know that, then welcome. Um, But uh, so we're going to measure fear, which is kind of what we used to talk about with scares, and God, which is the substance of kind of what we have been discussing. So we're going to rate these um, as fear and God and produce this sort of fog meter kind of numbers. So in talking about like scares uh, could be disturbance factor, unsettling factor, whatever, on the on the general fear factor, what would you give Mr. Nathan Rouse to 1922? And to clarify, it is again on a 1 to 10 scale, right? Um, 1 to 10, yes. And um, just to, to nuance what you just said on the fog meter a little bit here is what we were finding is just clearly all we ever gave were sevens and <laughs> trying to try, trying to. And we think ultimately, although this episode we may, or this movie, we may end up just back in our old habits here. Um, uh, trying to find a way to have some more distinctive ratings than simply sevens. And so um, in terms of the fear factor of 1922, I don't, I don't think it's an enormously scary movie. There's some really scary imagery to it. Um, and the general sort of, uh, actions and morality aspect of it have a, a weight and heft. Uh, but I, th- I think I'm going to lean into like a six on, All right. uh, you know what? No, I'm going to go five. I'm going to go five on the fear aspect of our fear in God. I'm going to be a little more diplomatic and, and cut through. So right. yes, five. Okay. Uh, for me, I'm also, I'm equating fear as beyond just because we, you know, we talk about fear, uh, beyond just like scares and frights and also like disturbances, upsettings, uh, things like that. Um, I'm going to land at a seven for this, for this film. Okay. Um, I feel like it, there's a lot to be disturbed and upset by, even if it doesn't necessarily haunt you with nightmares. Um, so for that, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a seven now on what we're calling, you know, the God meter, uh, if, if you were, um, the substance of it, the, uh, I'll, I'll go, I, I think there's so much here. This is a powerful story to me in my mind. Um, and so like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to temper it a little bit, uh, comparatively, but I'm going to land at an eight on kind of the God meter. I think it's interested in a lot of very moral considerations that I find quite powerful. Yes. I, I think that's a pretty fair, um, uh, a pretty fair assessment. I, I'm, I'm with you. Like 
they don't, to my recollection, they don't really invoke a spiritual kind of dimension, but it's so intricate, although her being a, a spectral or a ghost or whatever, you know, kind of maybe does that by default, but it is very interested in the choices we make and the consequences of those choices um, and how they affect people around us. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to join you at an eight. All right. Um, they do reference one line that I just have to bring up because uh, I love it so much. They uh, they reference, basically, they say, uh, if God rewards us for good deeds, maybe Satan rewards us for evil ones when he talks about how well his crop was. Mm. Um, so you've heard our ratings for it individually, and that means in general, despite having getting rid of David S. Pumpkins, we give it a 7 <laughs> out of 10. Uh, I, well, yeah. yes, on the fog meter, now a 7 out of 10. You know what? I figured that might happen on this particular one. Yes. It is. It's a strong film. It it's is. got a lot on its mind. It is pretty damn scary. So yeah. you know, there's, so a seven is not <laughs> just us. <laughs> uh, it is actually the so, film. But itself. I will say, uh, so we're you know we're tweaking it just a little bit after we give it our little numeric rating on fear and God. Uh, then I mean, I think I already know this answer to the question. Would you generally recommend this film? Uh, um, um, and yeah, yeah, absolutely, especially especially to our audience. Um, it may be a little too graphic for a casual thinking person. You know, in other words, by thinking, I just mean it's got a lot on its mind. So someone might be interested from that standpoint, but I do think it's pretty graphic. Yes. But yes, I, I definitely recommend it to our yes. audience. You know, it's, it's absolutely worth it. If you, if you can handle the grim and gruesome nature of the story, it's very powerful and I highly recommend it. Um, so yeah, Great. that was, you know, we're, we're here. We've got 2.0. 2019. Four years later, we finished our new episode. <laughs> <laughs> 2019. It is now 2020. So, that was a really short series. <laughs> so a really long episode. So yes, uh, really, uh, it took uh, an entire year for the story and it took an entire year for this yep. episode. And so here we are. Um, but no, sincerely, uh, stay tuned for all of the social media cues. Nathan, it feels good to be back. Uh, it's really, yes, really brother. glad to be back in conversation. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hashtag 19. <laughs> we are going to continue next week. Hashtag Netflix and chills. We will be discussing Gareth Evans, Apostle. Yes. And it's on Netflix. So if you have it, yes, check it out. It is because it's Netflix and chills. That's where it's right. at. That's where you can find it. Uh, we'll see you and the, the, the Woodland Fairy next week. <laughs> Bye, Welcome everybody. back, guys. Happy New Year. Bye. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it is not the end of the conversation. You can continue this conversation in a variety of ways. On Twitter, at The Fear of God. On Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast. You can like or follow us on Facebook or join the Fear of God Facebook discussion group. Follow Reed on Twitter, at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, at The Nathan Rouse. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com or visit morethanonelesson.com to comment on the official episode posts. And lastly, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or a review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.